get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, saver retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Get ready for winter driving at Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers with super deals on tires, including up to $200 on new Goodyear tires, plus oil changes, brakes, batteries, and more. For value and savings, click on gotodobbs.com today. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. These last three weeks, if you don't believe in the St. Louis Blues, then you haven't been watching hockey. Um, Last game after the telecast, we... You know, I, I, you would not be surprised if they're in the finals. Like, they, I, they're one of my preseason picks to get to the finals. There's about three other teams because they're built. I think Doug Armstrong is a terrific GM, and he's come up with some really good trades, and he's very patient. Um, and I still think he's got something up his sleeve. I think maybe a defenseman at a trade deadline is something that they might look at. I'm not quite sure. But uh, they're definitely built for a seven-game series against anybody in the league. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. We are broadcasting live from our home. Tanner is in the studio. I am in St. Charles. Alex is God only knows where right now. I oh, think it's high ridge. Easy with that. Currently, um, he has about an inch to his left, an inch to his right, and he yes. might be able to stay on with us the entire show today. Yes, we wimped out. We decided to stay home. Tanner stayed in a hotel last night, very close to the station, so he could get in. Huge thanks to him for making this all possible. That voice you just heard coming back was Rick Tockett, former NHL coach, who says that the Blues are a legit Stanley Cup contender in his mind. And Alex, that's where I want to begin today's show. Because as I was looking over some of the standings last night, as we are now getting right into the real, although the Blues have already been on this, other teams are now on it, the all-star break in the NHL the Blues as of today would be a wild card team they would play against the Las Vegas Golden Knights both of whom have 57 points on the year thus far but they're not all that far away from having to play the Colorado Avalanche in the first round of the playoffs again if the season ended today what I wanted to ask you and I would be curious where our audience stands on this 65780 is the air comfort service tax line to get involved in the show Do you care who the Blues play in the first round? Does it matter to you? In the second half of the season, are you going to be pointing to, okay, you got to get there in the standings for me to feel good about you going on a run to the cup? How do you feel about that, Alex? Well, first of all, BK, I mean, the point you just made about them being possibly close to playing the Avalanche in the first round, they're also close to hosting the Minnesota Wild in the first round. I mean, they have two games in hand on the Nashville Predators, and they sit three points behind Nashville. So, I mean, this Central Division is going to be a flip of a coin. I think the best-case scenario for the Blues is to get that number two spot for how we've seen them play on home ice. 
But to answer the question of who I care that you play in the first round, no, I really don't because there's not going to be an easy team. It's not like you're coming into these playoffs and you're going to be facing the Winnipeg Jets in the first round or the Dallas Stars in the first round, who neither of those teams are going to be considered easy wins. But look at the competition. Colorado, we all know Colorado's everyone's favorite. I think the Blues match up well against Colorado. I just don't know in a seven-game playoff series. Nashville, Nashville has given the Blues so many fits over the last few years that that matchup frightens me. If I had to choose, I would say either Minnesota or Las Vegas because the Blues have had Minnesota's numbers over the last few seasons, but Minnesota's a different-looking team. They like to play physical, and I wonder how the Blues would match up against that. Vegas would be interesting because Vegas isn't the rough-and-tumble type of team that they used to be when Ryan Reeves was there, and I don't know how much you can trust a Robin Leonard. So if there's one team that I would say I want the Blues to face, it would probably be Minnesota. But honestly, it doesn't matter who you face because you're going to be in jeopardy of being kicked out of the playoffs. It's not like the East where you have a couple of teams that are good and then a couple of teams that are really good. That changes in the Central Division. I'm with you, Alex. I don't really care who they play. I just want to make sure that they get through them. And the reason why I don't care is because they're going to have to beat these teams eventually. Like, whether they see the Avs in the first round or they see them in the Western Conference Finals, or if you end up seeing the Vegas Golden Knights right off of the bat or you see them later on, the best of the best, whoever you deem that to be, whoever you believe the worst matchup to be for the Blues, they're probably going to have to play them at some point. Like, maybe you think the worst matchup, as you mentioned, Alex, because they it's been a tough spot so far, is the Predators. Okay, maybe that would be something you would like to avoid, but that's not an easy thing to do in the Western Conference right now because of how but jumbled up everything is. It's not like you can just say, oh, we don't want to play the Predators. Let's get down to that wild card line. Like, no, of course they're not going to do that, especially not with Craig Berube as their head coach. They're not going to be fearful of anybody. Yeah, what do they think so of see? The, the Miami Dolphins? <laughs> yeah, we're not we're not giving $100,000 handshakes to be able to avoid the Nashville Predators. We want in the, the last wild the card. Playoffs. Yeah, how, how do we get to the four seed? How do we get that in the in the Central Division? That's not how it's going to work. I'm kind of with you. I, I would like to avoid Colorado in the first round if possible. That that would be one thing that I would prefer to do because that team, I mean, they're they're a nightmare right now. They, they look every bit as good as everybody expected them to be after that early season, the, the weird start for them. They've been on an absolute roll in the Western Conference. So that they would be, if I had to avoid one team, it would be Colorado. But in general, if the Blues are playing their peak game, they can beat anybody in the Western Conference. And they shouldn't be fearful of anybody. And as a result, in the second half, it's not for me gonna be so much about the standings. Like I'm not gonna be looking at where they are and how it shakes out and what the matchups will be. It's just a matter of how well they're playing going into the postseason. And that's why I wanted to have this talk today with you, Alex, because I I'm not really going to be measuring them based on their win-loss record. Yes, of course, that's important. That's going to be how you kind of measure uh, the ultimate successes of the season, especially in the playoffs. But it's, it's about finding their game. It's about them being able to figure out, okay, what is the best version of this Blues team? And Craig Berube was on with the fast lane yesterday, and the guys asked him. I thought it was a really good question by Brad Thompson. He brought up the fact that Kevin Weeks believes this team might be better at its peak than the Stanley Cup team that the Blues had 
how would Craig Berube look at those two teams if you compare the two? Here's what he had to say yesterday on the fast line. You got to sacrifice if you want to win, and you got to sacrifice for the team what's best for the team, and you got to sacrifice your body in game. Uh, you know, if you watch the way Tampa Bay sacrificed, like blocking shots, all little things like that stuff. That's what it boils down to when it, in, in the playoffs when it comes to winning. These teams are all tight; they're even. Um, they can go either way. And, you know, it's just about doing sacrificing and, and doing all the little things out there that are gonna, that's going to make you a champion. Yeah, it's blocking shots. It's throwing your body in front of shot pucks. It's throwing their body against other teams on the forecheck. And frankly, it's not worried about if you're playing on the top line or the fourth line. That's the sacrifices that Craig Berube is talking about there. And I think that is the most interesting side of this going into the playoffs. It doesn't matter who you play against, in my opinion, in the first round, the second round, the third round of the Stanley Cup final. Because if you play like you did in that 2018-2019 season, you're going to be the better team. On paper, Winnipeg was supposed to beat the Blues. Blues found a way. On paper, the San Jose Sharks were supposed to beat the Blues. Same can be said about the Boston Bruins. And I'm not comparing the two, but what I'm saying is to the point of Craig Berube, if you match up against the Nashville Predators in the first round, guess what? Nashville likes to play a physical brand of hockey. Can you out-muscle their muscle in a seven-game series? You play against Colorado. Colorado's a faster team. Can you slow them down with your size or can you beat them with your speed? That's what a series comes down to, in my opinion. So there are teams that I would say I'd prefer to match up with against. But when it comes down to it, the first round in the mindset of Craig Berube, doesn't matter who you play against because you're going to have to get through them to win a Stanley Cup. And to get through them, you're going to have to put them through a lot of hurt. Yeah, and we got this text from the 314. Guys, in my mind, the Blues are better off as the first wild card because then they wouldn't have to play the Avalanche until the conference finals. Then they would go through the Pacific Division, which would mean playing Vegas, LA, Anaheim, Calgary. Those are easier paths to the uh, Western Conference Finals than going through the Central. Alex, do you agree with that assessment? I don't because you're playing on the West Coast, and I, I think that time zone change can really affect the team. I mean, I know they beat the San Jose Sharks, but at that point, those that team was already kind of in it in terms of um, buying into it. I would not want to do that, especially in a wild card, because if you think about it, your first two rounds, you're a road team. And for me, I haven't seen enough out of this team that means they can win on the road. So if I'm a fan right now, what I would want is I would want the number two seed. And I know that means you're going to have to face Colorado in the second round. I mean, let's be honest. What I would love is the first seed. But that's going to be difficult with Colorado playing the way that they are. It ain't so, happening. You can go ahead. I'm, I'm telling you right now, Alex, I'll be the hockey guy for a second. You're not going to get the number one seed. Well, like, we can just of, go ahead and write that one with off. With that kind of optimism, you're not going to get it. Come Thank on. Thank you, T-Bone. That's what I'm talking about. Optimism keeps you living longer, BK. Mike Schultz They're 11 so. points behind the Avs. 11. They are basically five and a half hand? games back having played back the same the, amount of games. They were further oh, back from the playoff spot in 19. It's fine. <laughs> okay. What I want... And what I would want is I would want the number two seed, which means I'm probably facing either Nashville or Minnesota in the first round, but I have home ice, and then I would get Colorado. But to me, after I get through that first round, the team that gets through the first round is going to have a lot more confidence. So whoever gets out of this central division in the first and second round, in my opinion, is going to be in the Stanley Cup finals as the Western Conference team because that's how difficult this division is. But that would be my preferred spot, the number two seed in the central.
Yeah, to your point on going through the Pacific as well, like as of today, you would face off against Vegas, but Calgary has four games in hand on Vegas and they're only five points back of Vegas. It's yeah, entirely possible. Do people forget the 7-1 loss that just took place in Calgary? And Minnesota, or, uh, Anaheim and, and LA are actually really difficult teams to play against. And, and even at, like setting that aside for a second, I don't want to see this team going to Canada. I, I don't want to see it. I've got no Amen. interest in them going back up there again for the playoffs and having to go on the road potentially to face off against Matthew Kachuk against his hometown team in the playoffs. Yeah, no thanks. Nope. I think I'm good. I would rather avoid that. So it, it's it's a situation where I'm with you, Alex. Just try to get as high as possible, of course, in the standings. But I, I'm not really looking at this as being a, a situation where you're trying to avoid one team in particular. Just do a, get, the, get the highest seeding that you can, and then let's see where how, how the chips fall. Right. This team's good enough to be able to beat whoever they end up facing. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. We've got a snow day of our own today. Alex is at his house in High Ridge. God only knows how far away that is. I am in St. Charles. Tanner is in the studio in Creve Corps. Appreciate all of you guys Way to go, tuning in today. Yeah, T-Bone was the only one brave enough I'm the to real champion make of this it to the show. studio today. You're the real hero. No Coming up in about 30 minutes, we'll get to some questions and answers. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers. I should also add, if you hear a bark in the background at any point during today's show, I apologize. Thus it's is life when you're broadcasting from home. <laughs> Coming up next, the projections for baseball seemingly paint a different picture for this Cardinals team than we've been talking about all offseason. We'll explain that next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. We are broadcasting from home today. Tanner is live from the studio in Creve Corps. Coming up in about 15 minutes. Yesterday was the latest reminder of the dominance that is the SEC. My God, did they have some unbelievable recruiting classes? Uh, we'll get into that. Zoo crushed up in about it again. Minutes. They they did best recruiting class ever, and I think it was the sixth best recruiting class in the SEC. I don't think Illinois Market even recruited. T-bone. I don't even know if Market T Bone SEC champions. Yeah, Alabama. Something like that. Well, we'll get into that coming up in about 15 minutes or so. But right now, let's dive into the projections. Alex, yesterday, you know how much I love the Zips projections. Ooh, buddy, you know I'm a nerd and I love these numbers. So over on Fangraphs yesterday, they released their projected standings for the National League. And I was a little surprised to see this. There was only one team in the National League projected to win more than 90 games next season. It was the Dodgers, of course. But instead of being projected to win 99 games like they were last year, 101 games like they were in 2020, they're only projected to win 94 this year, guys. And there are no other teams in the National League currently projected to win more than 90 games. All right. This is as wide open as we've seen the National League in years. The Dodgers are not as... They once were National League. Does well, we appear to have lost BK Ferrario. I'm assuming you're still there with me. As yeah, I'm still here with you. As Ferrario was still as Ale- or BK was mentioning. You know, you look at the projections from FanGraphs. 
the Cardinals 90 wins the projection for the Dodgers Ferrario yeah 90 wins for the Dodgers and so looking at that and what BK's getting at while we try and reestablish connection with him where he's getting at that with T-Bone is if you look around the National League and the Dodgers are the only ones projected to have 90 or more wins I think that does open up a situation where you look at okay well these wins are getting taken away from some of these other teams right like you're talking about the Cardinals who are projected to win more games you're talking about the Padres who are projected to win more games right BK we got you back here this is where you're going with this in the National League you got me now? We got you. <laughs> Sorry, boys. Okay. So, yeah. Do you guys view this as being an opening for the Cardinals? Because I think we've talked about them a lot as having an opportunity to really be able to take advantage of this uh, of this division. But when I saw the projections for the league as a whole, I, I think I'm starting to expand this as, okay, it's not just they could potentially have an opening here within the division. It's also in the National League at large. Like, I think that what we saw last year with the Braves, I think my hypothesis here, if you wanted me to get super scientific about this, Alex, is that the National League last year was a, was representative of what we will see for years to come. I think it is at least possible that the Dodgers do not have the same strangle grip on the National League as they did for the last six years or so. They are going to be at least... 10% worse than what they previously were. And the rest of the National League, at least in my mind, I think has come back towards the Cardinals. The super team era, if you will, that may still be around, but I don't view as many of those teams as being in the league right now. I think the Cardinals are every bit as good as the rest of the teams that we're looking at around the National League that are legitimate contenders as of today. I think that's why you're seeing eight or nine wins taken away from the Dodgers coming into this projection season because the National League has just gotten more difficult. Yes, I do believe that the Cardinals are that second tier rather than last season where it felt like there was one tier, a second tier, and then we were talking about the Cardinals. But I also think you have to talk about the other teams around the National League because the Mets have gotten much better. You you have to talk about the Braves on top of the Padres. So I think that's what you're looking at in the National League. And with these projections, I do put the Cardinals in these same categories as these other teams. And when you specifically look at the fact that the Cardinals offense and everyone seems to be projecting their offense to be much better, when you're looking at the scenario where it comes to the pitching, where people are still talking about their pitching being a concern, all of those factors coming into play here, but it also goes to show you that the Cardinals are not on that third tier like they were last season. I would put them in the same categories as some of these other teams, like the Mets, like the Braves, and honestly, like the Padres. Yeah, I think that's a good point because that tier list that we talked about so much last year, we talked about the Cardinals being around that second tier because there's always that clear cut. There was always the Dodgers, and we even at the time had the Padres, or at least I did in that tier with their off season. I think we've brought it up multiple times. I do feel like this National League is as open as it's been in, in years, and the projections kind of show you that because I don't know. If, I can't say that there's a favorite. I get that the Dodgers are projected with the 90-plus wins, but honestly I could see them missing that mark and being an 88-89 win team because they've lost a lot in free agency. So I, I look at the National League, and I say it's as wide open as it's ever been. This is the time for the Cardinals to hopefully take that step and try and get as close as possible to being the best. And that comes down to just finishing things up here in the offseason, making sure you go and get that bullpen arm, or as we want to see, go and upgrade the offense as much as you possibly can. 
Yeah, I just don't view the Dodgers as being as overwhelmingly great as they have been. Like, you look at their rotation, and I know we've got some questions about the Cardinals' rotation. Man, the, the Dodgers have every bit as many questions within their rotation. They've got, just like you, the uh, superstar young pitcher in Walker Bueller. I think Bueller is more proven so far than what you've seen out of Jack Flaherty, but those guys are, are neck and neck in terms of what the talent is that they bring. After that, they've got a lot of questions on who their number two through five guys are going to be within their rotation, and last year they fixed that because they were able to go out there and get Max Scherzer. Well, Scherzer's gone now. He's not going to be back with that team. They don't have the same back end of their bullpen as they had a year ago. They've lost three guys from the back end of their pin. Maybe they'll be able to replace that internally because they have this plethora of young talent that has been coming through their system over the years. But I don't know about you guys. I, I feel like it has kind of run a little bit dry over the last couple of seasons. I was told Gavin Lux was going to be the superstar. He was one of the top prospects in baseball. I haven't seen it. He's fine. He's okay. But is Gavin Lux significantly better than what the Cardinals have right now with Dylan Carlson? I would take Carlson personally. If you're just going one for one young talent and you look at what they have lineup wise. Yes, the Dodgers. I'm not going to pretend that they're not great. Absolutely. They are. They're not as deep as they have been, though, in recent years. I mean, they had to go get Albert Pujols last year for a reason. That was not like, hey, let's go get this guy and we can add him to the back end of our bench. He was their number one option against left-handed pitching because they just didn't have a whole lot of other guys that could do that for them. And that that's kind of where I'm coming at here. I'm with you, Tanner. The Dodgers are great. They should be the favorite right now in the National League. They are clearly the best team. But they are not without questions the way that last year the Padres were great but they were with a lot of questions. They were projected to win 98 games last year, and ultimately, they got negatives on basically every question and also went through some injury issues. If the Cardinals have a situation this year where the Dodgers go through what the Padres did last year, they let's say Walker Buehler goes down for them. I don't think they have the pitching to be able to overcome that. Similar to where the Cardinals were a year ago, the Cardinals right now were projected to win 89 games, it would not surprise me in the least bit if the Cardinals ended up winning 93, and that might be enough this year to be able to get the number one seed in the National League. Most years it would not. This year, with how how close everybody is to the middle, I think that might be what it takes, 93 to 95 wins. Yeah, for me, though, the only difference in terms of the questions, like for the Dodgers, yeah, there are questions when it comes to the, the pitching side if you do lose a Walker Bueller, but, I mean, they do have... Uh, Dustin May, they do have Urias, who could be used as a starting pitcher. Like, they do have really good weapons that could jump into Both that Both of spot. whom have big-time injury questions, though. And and that's like Unders that's like the Cardinals, right? But, it, it, yes, exactly. That is exactly like the Cardinals. But the difference there is the Dodgers have proven offense. And the Cardinals have some proven offense, but they also have guys that you're hoping you're using a lot of the ifs and the uh, wins like a Tyler O'Neill, like a Dylan Carlson, like a Tommy Edmond, like a Paul DeYoung. Like the only two certainties that you have in your offense are Paul Goldschmidt and Nolan Arenado. Whereas the Dodgers have Mookie Betts, they have Max Muncy, they have Trey Turner, they have Will Smith. They have guys who have done it on a consistent basis. But I am with you. I think the tier between these two has lessened than what it was last year. I still would have the Dodgers as that number one tier team, but I think the Cardinals are closer to them because of the offseason that took place with the Dodgers and because of the security that the Cardinals did with uh, with the Stephen Matz. And I would kind of counter that and say I think it's more of a concern, and I get the offense is, like you just mentioned, that's a good point, that they have four proven guys. I, I think if 
you have question marks with your pitching, a lot of the times we've been proven that it ends up coming back to bite you. And that, I mean, we talked about it with the Padres. I mean, the Padres, we had all these question marks about them, and their pitching, it broke, and then some of the guys weren't able to kind of repeat, like Blake Snell was not good in San Diego last year. I think if you have question marks behind your pitching, and and, we, and I don't know the depth that the Dodgers have, but I don't think it's as deep as it once was, as BK said. If you have questions around your pitching, then I think there are reasons to look at them and have a little bit of uh, concerns for them. Now, Grant, that goes for the Cardinals as well, because if the Cardinals break again this year, then again, they're probably not going to have the depth either, but they've got Libertor coming up through the system. So I have a little bit more faith in the Cardinals pitching depth than I do of the Dodgers pitching depth. And if they start to break down, like BK mentioned, if they go through a Walker Bueller injury, we could actually see the Dodgers potentially really tail off. And when I say tail off Dodger standard, I mean like 86 wins. So it's a little bit of a different curve, but I could still see them tailing off if they have to deal with pitching injuries. And I kind of expect injuries to be a big thing with pitching, especially because we don't know what spring training is going to look like. BK, I apologize if I didn't hear you, but we all know I don't listen to you. Did you say what the uh, projected wins were for the Cardinals? Yeah, there are 89 is there where their projection is. And they're they're right with the Braves. They're kind of in that range of the, the gotcha. second tier contender in the National League um, going into the season. They also have the Brewers at, at 88 wins. So they're right below where the Cardinals are on the Dodgers rotation. Here's the way that it stands kind of today. At least this is where their projected rotation would be. Walker Bueller, that's a great number one. I have no questions about Walker Bueller. If he best. stays healthy, he's going to be a Cy Young contender this year. Behind him is where they have zero certainty, though. Andrew Heaney might legitimately be their number two starter going into the <laughs> season. Julio Urias is a really talented pitcher. I have no idea if he can stay healthy as a starter for 162 games. Yeah, he's like an Alex David Reyes. Price, not- more talent. Sure. David Price is currently projected to be within their rotation. They have put him into their bullpen for a reason the last few years. This is not the same David Price that we remember that the Cardinals tried to acquire, what, five years ago now? And then Dustin May is probably going to start out the season as their number five starter. If you have a situation where you've got two to three guys that you can count on, that's kind of what the rest of the league is also trying to do. Welcome to pitching in 2022. I think they've got one. They've got other talented guys that if if things go in the right direction, it's kind of like the Cardinals, right? If, when, maybe, possibly, you feel good about it. The Dodgers have one guy that I actually feel certainty about, though, and that's in their rotation. So the questions that we have with the Cardinals' offense, those all exist for the Dodgers with their pitching. And man, given the, what the season is that we're about to start, the possibility, maybe even the likelihood at this point, that we're going to have a shortened spring training, I don't want to go into this year with only one guy in my rotation that I feel good about. Maybe they go out there and they acquire somebody else that's available still on the free agent market, and that shores some of this up. But I I think they've got serious questions in their rotation this year that they have not had in years past. Yeah, and you know, you mentioned with the Dodgers, Dustin May. Dustin May is kind of like the situation where with Dakota Hudson, where he's coming off a Tommy John surgery too. So they're going to be cautious with him. So they're going to have basically a four-man rotation with an innings limit on the fifth guy, which is kind of the similarity to the Cardinals. They're probably going to have innings limit on two of the five compared to just one, but that's where they're coming into that shadow rotation plan, and I bet the Dodgers are going to try something similar as well. Yeah, the the Dodgers are going to be really good. They're going to win probably around 90 to 95 games. I, I think this projection feels about right to them, but the reason why I wanted to bring it up is because in the last three years, they've been projected to win 99 or 100 games, and now you're down to 93, 94 wins. 
it, it does feel like the National League is more open than it has been in recent years. And that's why I thought that the Cardinals should have gone out and acquired a shortstop because I think you could have legitimately been the clear-cut number one team in the National League if you were able to do that. Unfortunately, the Cardinals disagree with me. Coming up in 15 minutes, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers. But next, I know recruiting is not a huge deal here in St. Louis. Yesterday, though, it should have been because what Mizzou did was special. Unfortunately, they play in the SEC where everybody is having special recruiting classes. We'll explain it next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Reminds you that your your best path to winning the national championship is playing at the SEC and winning your conference, and so that's the mark. That's what we have to do. Um, that's the competitive drive that our everybody in our organization understands and knows. They've got the the standard that we got to go meet it. Uh, it starts with great recruiting, which we we continue to do. You can't just do it once. Um, you got to stack good classes. You got to develop your players. Um, we got to continue to get buy-in from the community and invest and understand that it's not just going to happen overnight. It's going to take some time, um, but we're putting in the work to make it happen. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. We'll get to questions and answers coming up in about 15 minutes. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line if you would like to get involved in the show. Alex, that was Eli Drinkwitz yesterday on with Carriker and Smallman as he was talking about the Mizzou National Signing Day and how it compares to that of the SEC. And he was specifically comparing them to Alabama and Georgia. Alex, the top three recruiting classes in the country this year all reside in the SEC. Texas A&M put together one of the best recruiting classes we've ever seen. They finished with five five stars and 24 stars in their recruiting class this year. Alabama had an average ranking of four stars per player, four five stars and 17 four stars. And then Georgia was the third best class in the country as well. They just all recruit on a completely every other team in the country currently. And that was the theme for the SEC this year. Mizzou finished with the 17th ranked recruiting class in the country. It's the best they've ever done. They have now put together back-to-back best recruiting classes in the history of the the recruiting services. And yet, it was not even good enough to be considered to be top five of Mizzou in terms of their ranking this year. Texas A&M, Alabama, Georgia, if you want to consider Texas and Oklahoma SEC members, both of them were also in the top five. Tennessee was 12th, Kentucky 13th, LSU 14th, Mississippi State 16th, and then Mizzou was 17th. Every single team within the SEC was in the top 35 when it comes to their recruiting rankings this year. And yes, that does include Vanderbilt. If you're looking at the Pac-12, Colorado had the third best recruiting class in the conference. They were 42nd nationally. In other words, Colorado, who had the third best recruiting class in the Pac-12, would have had by far the worst recruiting class in the SEC. This is what is so difficult about being in the SEC for Mizzou. They recruited at a really high level. If they were in the Pac-12, they would have had one of the best recruiting classes, the second best recruiting class in the conference this year. But because of the conference that they reside in, it's always going to be really difficult. And simply having a top 15 class 
means you're average in this conference when it comes to the talent that you're adding to the roster. So Eli Drinkwitz has his work cut out for him. It, yesterday was a day to celebrate, but God, it was also a day to remember. My goodness, does this conference have a heck of a lot of talent in it. Yeah, someone needs to check on Texas A&M, though, because there's got to be some illegal activity going on with that. <laughs> Something's not right. Like, first time in school history, Something's not right with this one. Also, uh, you know, it could be worse. You could be Illinois, right, T-Bone? Yeah, that's right. I'm just still scrolling through. haven't found him yet. Yeah, still looking. Keep on looking with still that looking. One. This is just another um, feather in the cap for Eli Drinkwitz, and it's an impressive feat to have this back-to-back years where it's been the best recruiting class in the school's history. Um, it does go to show you, though, how difficult this SEC is, and, I mean, that's no surprise to anybody. Captain Obvious here talking about the SEC and how good they are. But, you know, it's one thing for Alabama and Georgia to always have those because that's the expectation. But I think it creates more of an excitement for Mizzou fans because the expectations is just usually all three-star recruits and then maybe you get that four-star recruit. It's so rare to sit here and talk about the four-star recruits and shooting for that five-star recruit for the Missouri Tigers. So I, I – Last season, I told you, BK, that I was just as excited as I probably have ever been for Mizzou football. This year spiked it even more when I see them in the top 10 category of the SEC, top 17 overall. It builds up that anticipation for the season with Eli Drinkwitz. And the question is, can you improve? Because the recruiting class is awesome, but you got to start improving from seven wins or eight win seasons. They were 38th in the recruiting rankings, which really is not all that bad. That That's perfectly fine. You can win like that in the Big Ten. You can't win like that in the SEC. And that's what I'm trying to say here is like in the Big Ten, that was the ninth best recruiting class in the conference. Not great, but if you've got Brett Bielema, who has shown in the past he can recruit and develop those kids and you can win with three stars the way that Gary Pinkle did in the Big 12, you're fine. You, you can make that work, especially if you do a lot of good work in the transfer portal. But if Mizzou was in the Big Ten, they would have had the fourth best recruiting class. They would have been up there with Indiana and not all that far behind Michigan with what they were able to do with this year's recruiting class for the Tigers. And that's the difference. That's what makes this so difficult in the conference that they reside in right now is it's just every week, despite the fact that Missouri is recruiting at a level we've never seen before, they are still going to be out-talented on the field by most of the teams that they play throughout the regular season, whereas if they were in any other conference in America, Alex, with the way that Eli Drinkwitz is recruiting right now, now you can question what his coaching will be, and he's going to have to prove that he can do that, but the way that they're recruiting right now, if they were in any other conference, at a minimum, they would be middle of the pack right now. And in most conferences, they would be top three to five in terms of the talent that they brought in over the last two seasons. So that that's kind of where my expectations are for them is if they're able to continue stacking these recruiting classes up as we have, to, as Eli Drinkwitz mentioned in that cut coming back from break, I, I do think that you're going to start to see them performing at a higher level. For you, did what we see yesterday, did it change your expectations? for the Tigers this upcoming season? Because you've got Luther Burden coming in. You have a four-star quarterback coming in in Sam Horn. You've got a few other kids from the St. Louis area that were all four-star players. Did that increase your expectations for what they can be, not in the future, but for the here and now? I mean, for me, it does. And maybe I put unrealistic expectations with the Tigers, but it does make me feel like they should be a nine-win team at the least. And again, maybe these are unrealistic expectations, but... When you have these players in, and when it comes to recruiting, I guess maybe that's where I'm just 
too immature with it, BK. I mean, it, because I expect Luther Burden to be a big piece of the offense. I expect Sam Horn to be a big piece of the offense. But maybe I'm expecting that too prematurely. Maybe that's something that I should be looking at, not this coming season, but the year prior when they have a little bit more experience underneath their belts. But yeah, with a recruiting class like this, I do expect it to be better than a seven or eight win season. Yeah, I'm kind of, I I think it's around seven or eight is where I'm at for now. I think next year is when you get to the play. (laughs) That that negativity wasn't needed. I feel good about that. I think that's pretty. That's a pretty I know, solid I was season. Going at, I was going at Ferrario. I was going no, at Ferrario. they've done that the last three seasons. What are we doing here? Hey, seven, eight wins. That's like a playoff no, you, appearance in baseball. If you were yeah, kind of, yeah, but push you're talking over. about a team that can't get to five wins right now. Beat T Bone. Like this is Mizzou. We're talking about. Hey, look, I don't know. No, what winning I, football I actually is. think Illinois is going to be fine next year if they can get it, if they can have solid yeah, quarterback wins. play. I think they're going to be all right. I, I mean, this year, so many money on the text line brought this up, and it's a good point from the two one seven guys. How many top twenty five wins did Illinois have since Mizzou's last top twenty five victory? Recruiting classes aren't everything. It's a fair point. Um, it, it's not so much a situation where I'm saying like, because Mizzou is recruiting well, they're going to be winning, but the teams that do a lot of winning typically recruit well, like you can trace back what changed for Georgia. They started recruiting at a level never seen before. Like Kirby smart, just put his talent level at a, at another height. And that was able to push them over the top this year to win their first national championship. You can do the same with Clemson. Clemson, when they were going through that spe- that stretch of being the best team in the country there for a three-year window, really, they also were putting together recruiting classes that were at or near the top of the uh, of the range. I mean, look at the top five classes, for example, this year. Texas A&M, Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State, Texas, and then Penn State was right after that. If I had to guess, guys, I would imagine that those are going to be six of the top 15 schools over the next three to four years. Like, if you put together a composite of their four-year records, I bet you those teams are all going to end up performing really well. Recruiting doesn't instantly lead to winning, but winning is typically done because you recruited at a high level. So uh, that that's why I put so much emphasis on, on these things. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up in about 15 minutes, Albert Pools, I'm done with the disrespect towards him. It's it's over. ESPN, I'm coming for you. We'll do that coming up in about 15 minutes or so. But next, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service X sign for questions and answers here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe text now to 65780. It's BK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. Six five seven eight zero is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers with Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. Alex and I are broadcasting live from our homes. He is in High Ridge or something like that. I'm out in St. Yes. Charles. Tanner is in the studio. He was the only one that actually braved the elements and went like into the a, studio like a today in Creepcore. Yeah, like a man. And, and now I look <laughs> like outside and go, I wish I stayed home too. <laughs> the only surprise here is that Alex didn't make it in. The least surprising thing in the world is that I was not manly enough to go out in these elements. That's true. Yeah, well, I would have gone, but, uh, you know, I had didn't a get the uh, flamethrower yet. No, I had a personal slip from Tracy Bibb telling me not to go out in this. Uh, oh. So I tried to stay away. I wouldn't mind one of those. That's smart. 
That's smart. And if people want to learn more about that, they can text us. The 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Text quote to 65780 from what I understand. Cha-ching! Uh, questions and answers. Let's get into this. Guys, what is the best activity in your mind for a snow day? What's the number one thing that you like to do when there's a snow day outside? Oh, man. You know what I love to do? I love to just go grab a shovel and start shoveling my driveway. That's what I love to do on a snowy day. Should I hand out your number you to like, already people today? can text you and you can go do theirs too? No, I haven't done it yet. And no, I'm not going to do anybody's. I'll do it once we get off of the air. I'm not looking forward to it. That is the worst part of a snowy day is having to do your driveway. That's the worst. What's the best? I thought the question was the best thing about a snow day. Oh, is that what it was? I, I Boy, feel like that really was are the negative. question, but Alex took this really negative. <laughs> I'm just saying. That was sarcasm. Uh, I don't know. Like, for me, it's mostly a movie. Like, when I used to get the snow days with school, that's exactly what I would do. I would plop myself down on a couch, and it would just be a marathon of movies. So I haven't been able to do that yet, but I'm sure that will be it sooner or later. That'd be it for me. See, I think my favorite was just going outside, whether it be the sl the sledding, or I always like to do, and me and my dad used to do this, we'd play uh, football in the snow. So, like, that was my favorite thing to do, especially when you've got, like, six, seven inches, and it's just tough to move in compared to, like, an inch that's on there. So I, I would say my favorite was just going outside and doing some snowball fights, sledding. Not, I, I did not want to be inside, even if it was a snow day. I used to be that way. Now I am not that way. Now I'm very much interested in being inside uh, throughout the day on a snow day. So I, I'm with Alex. Like, if you could get a, a movie marathon, I'm all in. Somebody on the text line says, snow day equals day drinking. See, that's that's another nice. good one. Some coffee and some Baileys. That sounds like a good way to start your day today. Um, somebody says their favorite activity to do during the snow day is listening to Tanner and company. Oh, well, I don't blame you there. It is a good show. It's a great thing to do on a snowy day. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers from the 314. Hey, Tanner, I wanted to ask you about Kofi Coburn. When was the last time that we've seen a player this dominant at Illinois? I don't know if we've ever seen a player this dominant at Illinois. I mean, his performance last night was unbelievable. He went for, I think it was 35 and then 14 boards. And what surprised me was when they said last night, yeah, it wasn't even his career high. He was, I mean, he's unbelievable, and he's improving his game as it's his junior year at Illinois. I mean, last night, they bring the double. He spins away from the double. He's able to finish. Last night, most impressive for me was he was able to finish with the left hand. It used to be you could just sit on that right side, and it would be tough for him to score. He used the left hand a lot last night. He's been working on a jump shot. I don't think he utilized that much last night. And then he just goes to the paint. He runs the pick and roll so well. A couple of times yesterday, he ran the pick and roll. They just dish it right to him. And then he just goes in and slams. And that was the exclamation point in that game last night. I, I can't remember someone as dominant as Kofi Coburn has been. And I, my favorite player is probably growing up. Malcolm Hill was one of them. And then I would have to say... Uh, what was his name? Something Paul. I'm drawing a blank on his first name now. Brandon Paul, I think, was his name. He was a guard, and he was he was unbelievable, too. But I, I think Kofi Coburn, DeSumo's up there, too. Kofi Coburn might be the most dominant player I've seen in my 15 to 20 years watching Illini basketball. So you know I'm a nerd, and so I had to look some stuff up last night to put in context what we've seen so far from Kofi Coburn this year. Kofi had 20 and 11 last year was his average he's there again this year at 20 points 11 rebounds per game the only other power five players in the last 30 years 
to finish an individual season with at least 20 points and 11 rebounds per game on average. Marvin Bagley, Tim Duncan, Kevin Durant, Michael Beasley, Blake Griffin, Wayne Simeon, who I absolutely hated at KU when he was there as a Mizzou fan, and DeAndre Ayton. That's the entire list of players that have gone 20 points, 11 rebounds per game for a full season in the last 30 years among Power 5 players. That's what Kofi Coburn, that list is what he's about to join potentially this year. So explain to me then how this guy is not considered a potential draft pick in the NBA draft. Well, the text line has he a good be. the text line has a point here. Uh when he goes up against anybody that's close to his size, he really struggles. I mean, the last time I looked at a draft ranking, he wasn't even a top 100 prospect. So I really, yeah, he, he there's, yeah. he has a lot of, the, he has for as dominant as he is. Uh, I think it is a John Rothstein. I think he tweets it out. I retweeted it last night. You know, he's the shack of college basketball. The problem is, is he just won't translate to the NBA. The NBA is now more of a guard and forward league. There's not a lot of centers and he's slow. He, I hate to say it, but I mean, he's just slow in terms of defense. He can play well when he's in the paint, but he's slow. You can take advantage of him in the pick and roll. And then just, as I said, if there's someone with his size, he just struggles and he's limited to basically the paint. And that's why he's been working on a jump shot and he's working on his uh, hook shot game as well. But yeah, I, I would not be stunned if he, I'm pretty sure he, this is just his junior year. I think he can come back one more. I wouldn't be surprised if you see him come back and try and wow. really develop to see if he can get to just be a second round pick next year. So that's Tanner, his biggest problem. Caleb- is, sorry, BK, that's his biggest problem then. Like he, he can't, he can't play the big man game at the next level because it seems when he goes well, up against other big men, he crumbles that. And there's just really not many big men in the game, the next level too. Like, I mean, Myers Leonard got to the NBA and how did he stay around the NBA was he was able to extend his range three point shot specialist and then at the time yeah. you, they were still looking for bigs that could play in the NBA now I'm telling you I mean LeBron James plays center sometimes when AD's not on the floor so yeah, yeah the, the reason why I, I was going to ask you Tanner do you remember Caleb Swanigan the, uh, the former Purdue power forward center is a big dude who like he was amazing in college basketball and then he was picked 26th in the NBA. He's out of the league now when he had some legal issues. And so, like, his career went sideways as a result of that. But a few years ago, he was one of the best players in college basketball. And then it just, for whatever reason, didn't work for him in the league. I do wonder if there's some of that to his game, if you're looking at um, what we've seen so far for Kofi. Because Swanigan was a similar type of player where he was not super athletic. He was not... Um, super rangy. He was just a big guy that was dominant on the interior, and they just don't value those guys as much anymore in the NBA as, as they once did. So th- there is some truth to that, but I think there's a role for him, man. If you're telling me that he can't be one of the 12 best teams on an NBA team next year, I, I just... That seems crazy to me. He's, he's too good for that. I, I think his projection in terms of to get to the NBA, if he doesn't come back, let's say he does go for the draft and he doesn't get drafted, it's probably a G League deal and then kind of work your way up. Kind of what we saw from uh, is it Jordan Goodwin that's with Washington. He's in their G League yeah. and then he's been, a little, he's been with the Wizards just a little bit this year as well. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kiley. Coming up in 15 minutes, we're going to be joined by our friend Joey Vitale, Blues analyst. We'll talk to him about the Blues as they officially enter the All-Star break. But coming up next, I won't stand for your disrespect, ESPN. We'll talk about it next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. 
Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. So ESPN is doing this ranking right now, Alex, of the top 100 players in the history of baseball, basically ripping off what the athletic has already done. Let's start out with that. Okay. Oh, Shad's fire. Start out with an in- start off with an insult. I like it. And yesterday they triggered me because they had Albert Pujols ranked as the 30th best player in Major League Baseball history. They had him behind the likes of Derek Jeter. Alex, I'm not sure I've ever shared this opinion of mine publicly on this radio station. Don't do it, BK. You already know people dislike you. Derek Jeter might be the most overrated player I have ever seen in any sport of my lifetime. <gasps> oh my God, he just did it, T-Bone. Wow. Derek Jeter was good. If Derek Jeter was drafted by the Kansas City Royals, we would look back on him and be like, yeah, he was a really good player. Hall of Famer, clearly Hall of Fame career. The reason why we view him as being this all-world everything, clear-cut, unanimous, first-ballot Hall of Famer is because he was on the Yankees when they happened to have, like, the most loaded roster of any baseball team of the last 30 years. Like, that's why we view him the way we do. And there is no argument, literally none, that he was better at any point in his career than Albert Pujols. You look, I'm sure a lot of people in our text line, 65780, are probably going to say, yeah, but BK, look at what he did in the postseason. Yeah, look at what he did. And compare that to what Albert Pujols did in the postseason. Albert Pujols in his playoff career hit a, had a batting average of 320. Derek Jeter was 308. Pujols on base percentage in his career in the postseason 425. Jeter 375. Pujols 580 slugging percentage in his playoff career. Jeter 465. Albert Pujols 19 career playoff home runs. Alex. Derek Jeter 20. Albert Pujols played 72 fewer playoff games. In 72 fewer playoff games, he had one, one fewer postseason home run than Derek Jeter. And I'm supposed to be over here believing that Derek Jeter is better than Albert Pujols based on what Derek Jeter did in the playoffs? Nah, man, this is absurd. It it triggered me yesterday. I don't understand what an argument would be in favor of Jeter. Jeter was a good player. Suggesting that he was better than Johnny Bench or Albert Pujols or Bob Gibson Get out of here with that. That's nonsense. It's a popularity contest. It's what we talked about with the Hall of Fame, and now you're going back to it once again, and it's a popularity contest. Everyone loves Derek Jeter because it's Derek Jeter. They don't look at the numbers. They're looking at the fact of who Derek Jeter was, all of the championships. They're going to cite the defense for what he has brought to the table. But I'm with you. Albert Pujols was a significantly better player than Derek Jeter and by no way, shape, or form should be below Derek Jeter. That ticked me off. But what really ticked me off with this list was Bob Gibson. How the blank are you going to tell me that Bob Gibson, a man who changed the game in the sense of having to, what, lower the pitching mound or raise the pitching mound because he was so dominant? And you're going to tell me that Alex Rodriguez is better than Bob Gibson? Derek Jeter is better than Bob Gibson. Get the hell out of here with that one. That's the one that really grinded my gears with Bob Gibson. I was I was furious with that one. Guys, they had Pete Rose at 34. They had Pete Rose behind Derek Jeter. It's a popularity contest. Look at all three that we've just talked about. Pujols, Bob Gibson, Pete Rose. They weren't the best with the media where Alex Rodriguez and Derek Jeter was. 
Yeah, I, I'm with you guys. I think Gibson and Jeter should, or excuse me, not Jeter, Pujols should have been ahead of Derek Jeter because I'm with BK. I, I'm not going to say he was completely overrated, but I, I there, he was. There, 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 no, he was. There's, there is the point though of that. You know, we look at him a little bit differently because he was on all those great Yankees teams. I mean, the only negative you could put on Pujols would be his back half of his career. But I mean, his front half of his career was so dominant that he has to be in the top thirty of Major League Baseball players in the history of the game. I mean. Alex, you mentioned Bob Gibson and how he changed the game. I mean, look at Albert Pujols. I mean, the dude was, the nickname was a machine because it was like you couldn't get him out. The guy was incredible in his first 10 years here in St. Louis. Derek Jeter, look, he was great. He never put up those kind of a numbers as the starting shortstop for the New York Yankees on those great teams. He, In my opinion, he was behind those guys on those great teams. I mean, I would take, uh, you got A-Rod on those teams. I, I don't know if I would take Posada ahead of him. Who am I forgetting on the? No. Who am I forgetting on the team? There's someone else that was loaded offensively, right? Mariano Rivera. Oh, Rivera. Rivera I would take ahead of Jeter. I honestly would consider taking Pettit maybe ahead of Jeter because he was so good in his career as well. So I, I don't understand the point. I get what you're saying, the, the popularity contest. And it gets difficult when you start judging guys like Pete Rose and his uh, off-the-field issues along with guys like Barry Bonds. But there's no shot. Yeah, he was a better baseball Pools. player. There's no shot our pool hey. should be behind Derek Jeter. In what world is Roger Clemens ranked the 17th best player, but Bob Gibson is ranked behind Derek Jeter and Alex Rodriguez? Like, where? what are we doing with this one? Also, by the way, I, I feel like this list is just the latest reminder. Like, we have we don't need to get back into the steroid conversation, but Barry Bonds was the 8th ranked player on this list. Roger Clemens, to your point, Alex, is the 17th ranked player on this list. Alex Rodriguez on this list was, what, 26? So 26. three of their top 26 players in the history of baseball are not going to be inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame. You're right. They shouldn't have that's been on the list. To me. They shouldn't have been on the list. <laughs> that's that, a good I mean, point. That's, that, that just, shouldn't have been on the list. You know what I have learned? Remember, remember a few weeks ago when I got really frustrated with a list about musicians and how they were ranking these? This is what this list is. I think ESPN is just trolling us right now. See, but but the thing is, like, I don't have an issue with where they place those guys. Alex Rodriguez was one of the best players. I, I understand, obviously, there's stuff off the field, and there's the, the whole PED thing that you got to take into account. But in terms of who he was as a player, Alex Rodriguez was tremendous. In fact, Alex Rodriguez was clearly better than Jeter, and I'm glad that they had him ranked as such. I'm with you in that opinion as well, Tanner. But it's just like seeing these guys listed that high and then knowing that they're not going to be in the Hall of Fame is is just the latest thing to trigger me when it comes to that conversation. But we don't need to get there. Do you guys think there's any players currently like that are active right now in Major League Baseball that will end up on this list? Because the guys that are currently active that are already on it are Bryce Harper, Justin Verlander, Max Scherzer, Miguel Cabrera, Clayton Kershaw, Albert Pujols, and Mike Trout. So there's really no young guys on here other than Bryce Harper yet. If we made this same list 10 years from now, who do you guys think would potentially be able to make their way onto it? So I have a couple that come to mind. Uh, Fernando Tatis Jr. I think is going to be on that list. Um, I mean, he's already proven that he's going to be one of the best players in the game for what he has done in the short time he's been a major leaguer. And the other one that came to mind earlier is Jacob DeGrom. Now, I don't know how the rest of his career is going to turn out because he's got a lot of injuries that have taken place. But I think with what Jacob DeGrom has done during his healthy seasons, he deserves to be on this list. So I think sooner or later, if he continues his career and stays healthy, he'll be on this list. I think a couple that come to my mind, Juan Soto, I think is going to be one of them. I mean, he was 
unbelievable last year, and he was on a rebuilding Washington Nationals team. Shohei Otani, I think, could have an interesting case, depending on how well he ages as his career moves along, because he's... We saw it this year. I mean, he could have won the Cy Young, and he was the MVP. I mean, he was just unbelievable on both sides of the ball. Uh, other than that, those might be the two that stand out to me. Do you th- maybe we may see some young guys. Like, I, I think Vlad Guerrero Jr. is going to age pretty well to where he could put his case up on here when he gets older. Uh, other than that, that might be the couple that just stand out to me. Maybe uh, the other one I thought about, too, and it's really tough to project him, Wander Franco. I mean, we just saw how incredible he was. He had, I think it was the longest or tied for the longest on-base streak for a rookie in Major League Baseball history. So I, I think he has a chance to be that, too. What about Nolan Arenado? It's so funny, man. I Because you look at Adrian as a third baseman, and I, to, to me, that's kind of the comp if you're looking at how a guy like Arenado could, be, could get onto this list. I think by the end of his career... Albert, or, excuse me, Albert Pools. Nolan Arenado could be in that Adrian Beltre type of line. Beltre finished his career with 477 home runs, and Nolan Arenado right now is at 269. He's going to need five or six more really good seasons. He's going to need to continue on the same pace that he was at last year with the Cardinals. But I think Nolan Arenado could get into the back back end of this top 100 by the end of his career. But does but does defense get you on this list? Because like, I, I think by the end of his career, when it's all said and done, I think he could probably have the most gold gloves as a third baseman. That's a good point. Yeah, I, I mean, Brooks Robinson is at 67 on this list. Ozzie is Scott Rowland on this list? I don't think he was, if I'm not mistaken. No. And, and see, cause and, and I, I don't know what the numbers compared are. And I know Mike Schmidt probably has a little bit better numbers than Scott Rowland, but I thought Rowland was pretty close to Mike Schmidt. Yeah, I mean, Frank Robinson is at 19 on this, and Mike Schmidt is at 18 on this list. So, like, you've got top third basemen that that are on here, or Brooks Robinson, excuse me, is at 67 on this list. Um, So you've got really good third basemen that are on this list that are the comps, honestly, historically, to what we're watching with Nolan Arenado. If he's able to continue on this trajectory, I I think you could easily see him finish in the top 100 by the end of his career. I think he's a great player to, to throw on here. Um, are, are there any other guys that are kind of under the radar that you think could potentially make this list? Like Jose Altuve would be one that comes to mind for me. I did think of him. Yeah. That's a good one. Other than that, I'm not sure if there's anybody that kind of comes to mind. I, I, I do wonder, depending on how Milwaukee's pitching ages, like a Corbin Burns. I mean, he's already run a, won a Cy Young, and this is just his second year, and he's been really dominant. But again, pitching is going to be very tough, and he's going to have to sustain yeah. it. So. He might be someone that flies under the radar for me, but other than that, I don't know if there's really anybody. Maybe maybe Kenley Jansen, but he's older. I mean, he's been one of the best closers in baseball for multiple years. Text line makes a really good point that we didn't think of, and obviously Harrison Bader will be on this list, right, BK? He's Alex Ferrario. That's Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. He's not just going to be on it. He's going to be at the top of it. Coming up in 15 minutes, the NFL has a clear trend with its hiring of coaches this year. We'll tell you what that is coming up in 15 minutes. Also, Alex, you know I love talking about the NFL's overtime rules. We've got to tell you about what they're doing in the Pro Bowl that could lead to some overtime changes. That's coming up at 1230. But coming up next, Joey Vitale, our Blues analyst. We'll ask him what his snow day has been like coming up here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. 
We're talking blues hockey. It's the Joey Vitale Report on 101 ESPN. Brought to you by The Electrical Connection. When you need quality electrical work for your home or business, visit electricalconnection.org. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Alex is live in High Ridge. I am live in St. Charles. Tanner is the only one that made it to the studio today. But right now we are joined by a friend of ours and a man that is on his all-star break himself. It's Joey Vitale, Blues analyst, joining us via the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line. Joey, 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 Joey. You guys sound good. You guys sound good from three different locations. I'm in, I'm in Miami right now, so we're actually technically in four lo- different locations. We're pulling it off. Joey, how'd you get there? Because I'm supposed to leave tonight to go to Orlando, and I'm not feeling great <laughs> about the possibility. I got out early, buddy. I saw that snowstorm coming. I was in the first jet out Monday morning, uh, right after the Blues' final game. And uh, we've been down here in Miami for three days and actually taking the kids to Disney World Disney World here today. And uh, my wife and kids are going to meet, meet us out there this weekend. So we're, we're pumped. We're enjoying the sun. I, I feel bad for you guys there in St. Louis. I heard it's coming down, coming down in buckets. Joey, the real question is, are you sporting the Miami Vice white suit with a purple shirt underneath? That's, that's a great question, Alex. Probably the best question you've ever asked me, and the answer is absolutely yes, I am. No, I'm not. I am. I, I, I am doing just the short shorts uh, and flip-flops. I don't think I put a shirt on since I've been down here getting some sun. And, uh, you know, it's, it's being around the pool guys in Miami. It, it feels good to be a guy. I'm not going to lie to you. Uh, I, I, listen, I, I, I'm not saying I hate it, but I watch what these women wear around the pool, and Gosh, I cannot be comfortable. Uh, I, I get a wedgie every now and then. And it's so uncomfortable for me. I can't imagine. I can't imagine what these women go through with these new, uh, these new swimsuits they're wearing. But I know a lot of guys don't hate them. And uh, I just think it can't be too comfortable. Uh, Joey, speaking of Disney World, uh, are you going to save me a spot? You think I'm going to be able to make it down there? That's where I'm supposed to be going tonight. <laughs> no way. Come on. Come on. I, listen, I don't know if you're going to be able to get out. But uh, have you ever been to Disney, BK? Yeah, of course. Hey, he's my, got a my wife share there, is a, Joe. Uh, a massive Disney World fan. We're, we'll be staying at the Animal Kingdom Lodge, hopefully. Okay, nice. Good for you. We're, we're going to be at the Bay Lake there, and I know you have Alex on your right hand to, to, to kind of give you some pointers. He, he's a nut. My wife's a complete nut job. There are no rules when it comes to Disney. Uh, her motto is, if you ain't cheating, you ain't trying. Um, you know, she, if Absolutely. she doesn't have a fast pass to something and she wants the kids on that ride, she will, she will say, give me that baby. Like, okay, give me the other baby. Okay. And she's going to bulldoze through the line, and she's got three babies on her hip, and she puts on this sob story, and before you know it, boom, we're right in the fast pass lane. There are no rules. There are no guides. If you ain't cheating and dizzy, you ain't not trying. So we're excited to get back. My, my wife, she is a horse. When it comes to it, she's got it all mapped out. When I was a kid, my mom and dad, I'm one of six. Uh, they went into the park. They wanted us to enjoy a couple rides. We always hit Pirates of the Caribbean first. We would love the gift shop. We'd spend hours just playing with the gift shop. Remember the plastic swords and the, and the wooden guns? Um, literally, that was our Disney World experience at Magic Kingdom. Then I met my wife. Then it was completely different. We come, come into the park. We're just dating. She goes, what are you doing? I go, well, I'm going to Pirates. We always do. She goes, that is the dumbest thing anyone has ever said in <laughs> Disney. I'm like, whoa, 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 why? She goes, because the line's like 20 minutes all day long. you got to hit the... 
the, the big stuff first. You got to do the seven dwarves, and then you got to jump over to Peter Pan, and then you got to do Space Mountain. Get the big dogs out of the way early, and then on the uh-huh. on the on the loud busy hours, then you go to your stupid little Pirates of the Caribbean. Boy, she made me feel like an ant. I mean, she made me feel terrible myself. But you know what? At the end of the day, we did get a lot more done her way. Yeah, Joe, my wife listens to podcasts about Disney World, and she has maps when we go, and it's like a line. It's basically a line through the park of saying, this is where we're hitting, and this is how much time we have in between to hit this spot. (laughs) Isn't that the truth? And you know, know, Alex, our our wives, they love us so much, but as 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 soon as we fall off pace, just a little. As soon as we yep. are, are, aren't walking at the pace we need to, I love it when they turn around and say, are you coming or not? Are you, oh, are yeah. you, are you in this? Are, are you in or are you out? I'm like, oh, my God. My, I'm just trying, to, just trying to enjoy my vacation a little bit. My wife will leave my ass if she has to. If, if I'm not keeping up pace with her, she will leave me and say, I will see you at the end of the ride. Man, it, it is crazy. Like I said, there, there is no hard feelings. There are no rules. When it comes to Disney, and uh, we, uh, we, we could not be happier. We, we are excited. The kids are pumped up about it. And uh, I actually was watching this documentary about Walt Disney. And, boy, you want to talk about a visionary. I mean, he, he had it all mapped out. And what's so cool about his spot in Orlando and why he wanted to pick it, and, and I never really re- – I mean, you realize it, but you don't realize it. He picked it. It was in the middle of all these swamps. Right? He's living on a helicopter. He's looking all over Orlando. He just sees swamps. Imagine the vision to put a park in the middle of a big swamp. But that's exactly what he did because he wanted to create the image that you are truly in a different world. Have you ever been in Disney World in Orlando? You look around. It's just green. There's just grass and hills, and there's just parks and resorts. That's it. And there's nothing, there's nothing outside uh, of that park that you see. There's nothing in the real world. There's no Applebee's. There's no uh, chain hotels. There's no highways. Right? It's just Disney World. So you really, when you're in it, you feel as if you're in a completely different world all in itself, and then compare that to the one in California. Still cool, still great, but it's different because you really feel like you're just a park in the middle of this hustle and bustle city. So uh, it really is cool, and you really do uh, really soak in the magic, and the kids are pumped up about it. Yeah, the one out in uh, Anaheim can fit into Magic Kingdom's parking lot. Like that, That's the difference in terms of the size of Disneyland versus Disney World. So it, it is a totally different experience. All right, Joey, oh, I think we've got like two minutes left that we'll go ahead and talk about the Blues with you. Um, what do you how do you feel about this team going into the break? You, you, everybody's officially into the All-Star break now. How do you feel about the St. Louis Blues as we head into this All-Star break? Well, I mean, listen, the Blues, they're good. They're a good team. They're deep, but the problem is everyone in this division is good and deep. That, 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 that is the, that's the problem. I mean, for a while there, we're sitting there talking. We're sitting there talking about Craig Bruby being up for a Jack Adams award and doing all these great things, and he's gotten through COVID and all the injuries and things like that, and um, you know, using the depth and, and the way this team is built. But then you're looking when you're in a wild card spot. You're like, how the heck can that be after this team has done so well? Well, it's because every other team in this division is just that good. So but my, my feelings are this. They're good, but everyone around them is, is maybe even better. So that, that's the kind of scary thing, and that's just the reality of where they're at. Now I think that you, there's a lot of great things you can take into the second half, especially after All-Star break, that you've got to hold on to. I think the forward depth is certainly there. I don't know if there's much improvement you need from the forward position. Uh, goaltender-wise, we're doing good. Billy Huso has done what he's needed to do, and Jordan Bennington's kind of a little bit of a hiatus here where his, he's trying to find his game, so that's all perfect for me. I think the biggest question mark heading into the second half about how this team can really start making even more hay and getting right back up to the top of this division is going to be defensively. And I talked on the uh, fast lane a couple of days ago, you know, Nico Mikula, that's going to be the big question mark. They pretty much gave him the reins a couple months ago and said, hey, listen, uh, we're looking for a top four defender. Show us that you, it could possibly be you. And I think Nico's done a great 
great job. Listen, he's young. He's raw. He's learning. He's going to be there one day. I just don't know if right now he is that top pair guy. If you're saying facing the Colorado Avalanche in a first round, can you really say if Nico Mikula is going to be your top shutdown guy on that left side? You know, that is the question mark right now. And I think for Doug Armstrong, those are the big ones you have to answer as this season continues to progress. Things to keep an eye on. And as it winds down, you head into that all-star break, or not all-star break, but the trade deadline. Those are some of the, the, the questions you need to have answered. And Joe, real quick, if it's not Nico Mikola as that top-pairing defenseman down the stretch and you get to the trade deadline, if you're Doug Armstrong, is, is there a specific defenseman that you're looking at? I mean, we've heard the names of Chikrin, Giordano, Ben Sherratt, but is there a guy that, that, that spikes your interest in terms of, of a defenseman to acquire? You know, Chikrin I like a lot, and we, we talked about that already because Bill Armstrong is obviously going to want to ask that. Bill Armstrong, of course, general manager in Arizona, who was the assistant general manager here in St. Louis for all the fans out there who, who forgot, but he knows these assets. He knows the players that we'd have to give up to get a player like Jacob Chickren. So that one's why it's interesting to me. You know, Giordano has been thrown around there. I know um, Sherrod as well. You know, keep an eye on players like even like a player like Zidane Chara, a big guy. Doug Armstrong loves big defensemen. He's always loved big defensemen. Uh, so you look at a Zidane Chara, a guy kind of on his last leg, could be something uh, really cool to keep an eye on. You know, I'm never ruling out Scotty Mayfield. I know he's in New York. I think he has one more year left on his deal. I don't think it's something that Lou Lamarillo is going to let go of him because he's such a big body and he could be such a force back there and for quite a budget as well. But I still like the idea of a local kid like Scotty Mayfield, maybe the deadline, if the Islanders continue to slide the way they are, uh, possibly something like that uh, in the making as well. Also keep an eye on Graves who's in New Jersey. Now, remember, he went from Colorado to New Jersey because they, uh, Colorado knew he'd be a casualty in the expansion draft, so they got something for him by giving rid of him into New Jersey. He immediately signed a, a contract in New Jersey, and for quite a deal, he's making roughly the same amount of money as Marco Scandella, and I think with one more year left on his deal, if I'm not mistaken, as well. So Gray's is another player that could be a massive upgrade on the back end. I wanted to ask you one quick follow-up, Joey. We'll get you out of here on this, on Chara, because some will hear that and they'll say to themselves, okay, seriously, a 44-year-old, that's going to be the upgrade on the blue line. How would you view him if that was the addition that the Blues made? Do you think he's got enough in the tank to be able to help this team? I do. I mean, I, I'm looking at him like uh, a car. You're hitting a road trip and you got about a quarter tank left in, 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 in the gas engine, and but that's all you need. I mean, you're talking about getting through a few rounds and hopefully get to the Stanley Cup playoffs, and then from there, just get revamped. You know, I get that he's old, but to me, experience is so important uh, in playoffs. It, it is so important. He's a, he's a little bit bigger than Nico Mikula, a bit stronger, and he's been weathered, you know. Uh, it's like going down a country road, guys. I mean, uh, the first time you go down a country road to that favorite fishing hole, right, you, you feel the bumps, you feel the bruises, you're left and right, and you're jolting around. And, and that's the second time, you get a little bit more familiar with it. And if you do that thing 20 times, you're going to remember at different, uh, different marks where all the potholes are, where the ridge is, where the stream's at. Oh, keep an eye on this one. I'm going to veer off to the left. And then it gets smoother and smoother and smoother. And that's how I look at, uh, that's how I look at depth, or at least I look at um, experience in a playoff situation. It's, it's like going down that country road for the 40th time versus that first time. It's going to be a lot smoother. You're going to know You're going to know what to expect. You're going to understand the grind. You're going to know that being down 3-0 in a series, what that's like, and the mindset you need approaching game four. So to me, I think that you have to look at a player like Zidane Ochara seriously because I do think he's got enough in his tank to make four rounds um, and, and kind of sail off to the sunset in his career. If you were looking for breakdowns on swimsuits, Disney World, a little bit of hockey in some country roads. You came to the right place. Joey, we appreciate the time as always, man. Hopefully we'll Joey, see you out at Disney Joey, World later on this weekend. Joey. 
enjoy yeah, the rest of your trip down to Miami. Hopefully, uh, hopefully, if we see you around there, BK. But we don't have a lot of time to talk. I got to keep moving. My wife's going to be hot on my tail. You know that. But if I see you, I see you. Amen. Take it see easy, you, Joey. That's Joey Vitale <laughs> joining Joe. us here on 101 ESPN. Tanner, I feel like this is the moment where we've got to start singing Country Roads, right? Exactly. No. I was just singing that in my head. Country nope, that's Roads. That's not what you start doing. Take me home. Take me home. To the place. To the place. I terrible. It's a snow day. Virginia, Mount Mama. Take Boo. <laughs> coming up next, the NFL has a clear trend with its hires this cycle. We'll tell you what it is coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. We'll dive into the junk drawer coming up here in about 10 minutes or so. But Alex, there was some big news yesterday as the Minnesota Vikings officially made their next head coaching hire. Another one coming from the LA Rams. I know Tanner is very excited about this. They lost their offensive coordinator. Kevin O'Connell is expected to be named the next head coach with the Minnesota Vikings. He's 36 years old. He was drafted by the New England Patriots like seven years into Tom Brady's career. So he's a young guy. This is very similar to, I mean, you look at what happened with the Green Bay Packers with their hire of LaFleur. You look at where the Bengals were with Zach Taylor. Like, this is just the latest in a long line of former assistants under Sean McVay that are going on to become head coaches. And this came after it was expected that Jim Harbaugh would get that job. This was probably the most surprising hire, in my opinion, so far in this in this cycle, Alex. You've had the Bears hire Matt Eberflus. The Broncos went with Nathaniel Hackett. The Giants went with Brian Dable. And the Raiders went with Josh McDaniels. I don't think any of those were particularly surprising. In fact, I think at least three of those four we called in our role-play game that we did here on the show. Man, we're so good at role-play. Amen. Do what? We're so good at role play. It's unbelievable. Yeah, we're, we're, we're excellent I'm at awesome it. I'm awesome at it. The, the theme to me of this cycle is a continuation of offensive minds being the, the bell of the ball in the NFL right now, Alex. Because you look at it, the Bears are the only ones that hired a defensive coordinator to be their next head coach. Do you think this is the right trend? As you look around at what's happening right now in the NFL – do you think this is the right way for teams to go about their hiring practices? I 100% do, and this is why the Bears hiring is so strange to me. And maybe it turns out to be great, but when you have Justin Fields, a young quarterback like that, it would make more sense to go out there and get a offensive-minded head coach to make sure that that quarterback is in the right trajectory of being the number one guy. And I, I just don't understand that. The Broncos one's interesting. I like the Giants hire. The Raiders I'm just not sure about. And I love the Vikings hire. Like, I was all for Jim Harbaugh back in the NFL with Minnesota. But if you're going to get a head coach with an offensive mindset for Minnesota, go get the guy with the Rams. Because, I mean, Matthew Stafford is kind of a Kirk Cousins. He's not going to be running around outside of the pocket. He's going to be throwing the ball downfield. And when you have Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen, along with Dalvin Cook, 
you just need some creativity on the offensive mindset. This is the way I feel the NFL is trending, which is why that Chicago Bears one is so strange to me. I just don't know where they're going with that. Yeah, I don't really mind hiring a defensive-minded head coach, but if you have a young quarterback that's up and coming, that's where it becomes strange for me. Like, I look at the Bears, and that, like you said, Alex, it just, why are you going on the defensive side of the ball when you have what you think is your franchise quarterback in Justin Fields in just his second year? That's normally when we see kind of that offensive mind hired. Otherwise, I don't mind any any other of these hires. Like, I look at the Giants, and I just feel bad for Brian Dable because he's probably not going to win no matter what, and he'll be gone in two years. I look at the Broncos. They definitely needed a offensive-minded head coach because it had been, I believe, two straight years they had a defensive-minded or two straight hiring processes with a defensive minded one. And then the the Raiders and Vikings, I could see them going either way in my in on my honest opinion. If they hired a defensive guy, I wouldn't have minded. I think they both found the right guy for the job. So I think it just comes down to okay, if you have a young quarterback, you probably want to bring in an offensive minded head coach. That way you can that guy can work directly with him and kind of develop him. But to me, if you have like a Kirk Cousins, I think you can get away with having a guy like, I understand Mike Zimmer got fired, but the, he was successful with Kirk Cousins there for a while as well. So I think it just depends on the situation, but I, I have no issue with how these hires have gone so far. I think it's the way to go. I, I really do. I, I believe this is, if you have a good candidate for the job and they are an offensive mind, the tiebreaker should be that. It should be, if we like two candidates, and one of them is, for example, Matt Eberflus, right? And the other is Brian Dable. We like both of them. They're both willing to take our job. We have a young quarterback. Let's let's go that route, because that's what most of these teams have. My tiebreaker would be which of them can get the most out of my quarterback. And that's probably going to be the offensive mind. Because the problem is, like, let's say Eberflus ends up being really good with the Bears, and he has an excellent offensive coordinator in year one. That offensive coordinator is probably getting hired elsewhere by year two. And if not by year two, definitely by year three, because that's yep. what the league is going for right now, right? Like you, you look at the Rams, the reason why they are still successful, despite the fact that they've lost all of these other offensive minds with Kevin O'Connell and uh, LaFleur and Taylor, they still have McVay. Like he's the one who is, it's his baby. This, this offense is his. And then these other guys are just running offshoots of that offense. Same thing is true in San Francisco with Shanahan being the, the brilliant mind. And then he's also got others that he's teaching this to. If you lose your offensive coordinator in Chicago after Eberflus is successful with that guy, if you don't make the right hire next, now you're back into the same situation where you don't have an offensive guy in charge. And it becomes really difficult to sustain offensively what you're trying to be. So if there is a tiebreaker, that's the way that I would go. I would also add this. I do wonder if we are getting close to the end of the the cycle with these guys. Like how many more brilliant offensive minds are there? You know, because over the last five years, it's been this trend. This is just a continuation, not the start of something. And so as you look forward, there's still a few more jobs that are available this offseason. I don't know how many of them are going to be able to hire offensive minds because I don't know how many more great offensive minds there are available out there as coaching candidates for you. So that is one thing that I am going to be really curious about over the next two to three years, guys, is are we going to continue to have these bright offensive young minds that are coming through the ranks? Otherwise, you might have to start zigging where other teams are zagging because I do think there is a glut of really good coaches that are defensive minds that aren't getting these opportunities right now because everybody is fo so focused on finding the next Sean McVay, the next Kyle Shanahan, the next Andy Reid.
Yeah, I mean, you're essentially looking for like the next Bill Belichick, right? Because, I mean, Bill is a defensive-minded yeah. coach. And, and, I mean, if you look at the NFL right now, the successful teams are the offensive-minded guys. Green Bay, along with um, Kansas City, the teams that we've talked about, Kyle Shanahan, and now you're bringing this into the conversation. I think you're going to have to find the next team that defense leads them to a Super Bowl. You're going to have to find the next Seattle Seahawks or what the Denver Broncos were with Peyton Manning. You're going to have to find the next defense that overwhelms the offense. And for a while there this season, it felt like it was the Patriots. I mean, we all were on board for a couple of weeks thinking that the Patriots were going to be in the Super Bowl for the AFC for how strong that defense was. What happens? Defense falls apart. Offensive-minded wins games. I guess it just comes down to who decides to, to take that leap. And like you said, BK, flip the script. But if you look at, you know, like the NHL is a perfect example with this. The NHL is a copycat league, a team that wins the Stanley Cup. They're going to mimic what that team did. When the L.A. Kings won, everyone started to go the big physical play. Now that the Tampa Bay Lightning are winning, you're going to start going heavy on the defensive side and get some talent up front. That's what I think the NFL is. The more teams win the Super Bowl with the offensive mindset, the more teams are going to copycat that. It's just going to take a bold head coach to say, no, we're going to go a different direction, but you got to make sure that you have the best in that category. Man, it's really interesting because, like, in, in the NFC, you're absolutely right. All of the teams that made the playoffs basically had offensive minds. Like, L.A., Arizona, San Francisco, Tampa Bay, Green Bay, Dallas, all of them led by offensive minds. Even Philly, their uh, Sirianni was an offensive coordinator. I just know him as a gardener. You look at the NF, or the AFC, rather, though, it's almost the opposite. Like, yes, Andy Reid is an offensive mind. Same thing with Zach Taylor. So the two teams that ended up making it to the AFC championship game, both of them are offensive minds. But the other teams that we like in the AFC, most of them are actually led by defensive-minded coaches. Buffalo, Sean McDermott, defensive guy. Now, I will be very curious to find out what that offense looks like next year now that you did lose Dable. New England, uh, defensive-minded coach. Pittsburgh, Mike Tomlin is a defensive guy. Baltimore, they they had a special teams coordinator in John Harbaugh as their head coach right now. Tennessee, Mike Vrabel, defensive guy. You look over at the Chargers, defensive guy in Brandon Staley. They didn't make the playoffs, of course, but everybody loved them all season long, including me. I do find it kind of interesting that as much as it is a copycat league where you are going to look at the final four teams remaining and all of them had the offensive coach, you also look over the AFC and most of the best teams were coached by defensive coaches. So I... It's it's so hard to get these things right. Even the guys that I think are no-brainer hires, 50% of the time it feels like they end up busting and not working out with their respective teams. So this is an incredibly difficult thing to get right and getting the next head coach correct. But, man, I like Zach Taylor, for example. I thought that was there was no chance that was going to work. I thought that was a total bust of a hire. He's been pretty good. Been successful this year. I don't think he's a great coach, but it's clearly working there in the Super Bowl so I'll be curious to see what the rest of this cycle ends up looking like. But there is no doubt, so far, the only team that has zigged while everybody else is zagging is the Bears. You're just still in denial, BK, about Cincinnati beating Kansas City. It's okay, buddy. I, that's true. That that is. You'll get past it sooner or later. It takes a couple of weeks, man. Hopefully Disney World will help me. Coming up in 10 minutes, Probably we'll talk not. about Craig Berube's thoughts on Nico Mikola's first half performance and... Can Zidane Chara be for the Blues what John Lester was for the Cardinals rotation last year? We'll talk about that coming up at the top of the hour. But next, let's dive into the junk drawer here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's 
open it up. The Junk Drawer with BK and Ferrario. Let's dive into the junk drawer with Alex Ferrario. He's out in High Ridge. I'm Brandon Kylie. I'm in St. Charles. Tanner is in the Creepcore Studios holding it down for us today. Coming up in 10 minutes, we'll talk about what Zidane Chara could mean for the Blues if they were to trade for him at the deadline. Alex, today for the junk drawer, we got to get back into it, man. It's snowing outside. Tanner said there's eight inches in Creepcore right now. I have a flight that takes off in six hours, and I don't know if it's going to take off, and I'm a little anxious right about now. I'm really hoping it doesn't take off, buddy. I am. For your safety, I want to make sure that you don't leave in this kind of weather. I'm with him. So I do need help from the audience. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. I need help on how you handle a situation like this. Because we have a flight tonight, Alex, at 7 o'clock. It's supposed to take off and go to Orlando. As of now... Everything is on track. There's another flight coming up at 420 that is also going to the same place and it is on track right now to go there. If it doesn't end up happening, if it ends up getting canceled, I have the hotel tonight. I've got it through next Tuesday down in Orlando. The problem is there are no flights available tomorrow. None, zero. They've all been reserved because everybody else that had their flight canceled yesterday and earlier today rebooked all of them. Do you just cancel the trip? Like, what, what What do you do in this situation if things do go awry? Well, there's a couple of options here. One, if you're a company man, you cancel the trip and you say, you know what, my show is more important than me yeah. going to Disney World for a couple of days. That's what I personally would do. Uh, the other thing that you could do is you say, you know what, Kara, we're going to go to Disney World, but we're going to drive. So let's get on in, in our this? car and... And head on yeah, down. Well, yeah, that sounds like the. That sounds. If you just said that safety was the issue with the flight, I'm, driving's definitely not the answer. Well, you got to drive like Trust a, me, a smart human being. No, I drove to work, no, oh, drove, to work no, today. No, no, I drove as a smart human being today and barely got to work. Still, and I was oh, just look, down the road. So you just got to get past Illinois, and then from there you'll be in good shape. So I would say you drive, BK. That's a terrible idea. I think you'd be. I the, thought. I, I think you'd be think the company man. Idea. Be the company man and just come in. Forget the three vacation days you took yeah. and come back. Like so T-Bone said, just option. fill up a bathtub and sit in and yeah, just act yeah, like yeah. you're in Disney World. Yeah. Put out some, like, I Mickey Mouse characters around the bathroom. Yeah. Turn on Disney Plus, man. Yeah. It's the same thing. I No, that that is not accurate. I feel like this is a situation where what I might have to do is bite the bullet, book a, uh, a flight on Saturday instead of tomorrow. So I'll be here with you guys tomorrow. And then I extend my vacation next week. So I return on Thursday instead of getting back on a Wednesday. Uh, well, we would prefer you not do that because we've already uh, scheduled T-Bone and company tomorrow from 11 to 2. And then on Wednesday, I will not be in attendance. So it'll be T-Bone and co actually it would just be T-Bone on the only, Wednesday. So. The, only, the only guy that comes to work today and then the is not taking time hours. off. Well, this is unbelievable. Yeah. T-Bone, this is your shot. Like Eminem once said, mom's spaghetti. I can't even make mom spaghetti. <laughs> 40 bucks says he, he hasn't that... seen that movie. I was about to say, do you think he knows that Wait, reference? that's no. a movie? Yep. Eight Mile? 40 bucks. Uh, Eight Mile. I don't think I've seen the movie. I knew the song that Alex referenced. Don't watch it. Well, it's from the movie Eight Mile. <laughs> Wait, that's what that song's for? I oh thought it was just Eminem. I literally thought it was just Eminem made that song. 
All right, it's going to be Ferrario and company tomorrow. Wow, I learn something new every day based on you guys and your old you know, uh, knowledge. BK, BK, you know what we need to do? We need to start a, a, a T-Bone movie of the week where we have him watch a movie that he hasn't seen that's popular, and then we get his review on it. Like, maybe every, every Friday, it's the T-Bone movie of the week. I don't have that kind of time. What do you do? Yes, you you do. don't do anything. I don't have that you kind do of time. You don't even have to. You don't have to produce from ten to eleven anymore. Busy, yeah. busy. Oh, just too busy, too busy. He doesn't own a V. Tanner he doesn't tells own a DVD every player. Day about T Tanner asked me the other day. I don't day. have he a DVD like, player. Hey, that's true. Uh, what What do you What do you do when you get home? I, I typically just go home and take a nap instead of taking a nap and going to sleep. Watch at a movie. That nap is important. This is what we're going to do. We're going to start doing T-Bone movies of the week. We'll tell him a movie he's got to watch on a Saturday, and he's got from Saturday to Friday to watch that movie, and then we get a review. What are what are your Six, thoughts? 65780 is the Air Comfort Server text line from the 618. You three complain more than anybody that I've ever met. Suck it up. You could be like me driving back to St. Louis from Pennsylvania right now through the middle of this storm. Sir, be careful. Be Champion, very, very sir. careful. I respect the fact that you are able to push through. It ain't going to be easy once you get closer to St. Louis because these roads do not look ideal right now. Yeah, there's no there's no sucking it up. I can't get out of my subdivision right now. It hasn't <laughs> been plowed, and there's like eight inches of snow. I'm not going anywhere. That's... But, but you should suck it up, BK, and drive to Florida. Be a man. Come okay. On. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up in 15 minutes, we'll play a game of Believe It or Not. 65780 is the air covered service X line for Believe It or Not. Believe It or Not, I will be here tomorrow. Coming up next, Craig Baluby has some thoughts on Nico Mikola's first half performance. And could Zidane Chara be the Blues version of John Lester? We'll do it all coming up here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. For me, he's improving uh, all the time. That's what I see. And I think, you know, and I think him going forward, uh, what's going to develop, I think, is his puck play will develop a little bit more. I'm not saying he's all of a sudden going to get hands like I did when I played, but oh boy, you know, his <laughs> hands, his hands are going to, his hands are going to get better because he's just going to get more confident in making plays, you know, that are available. That was Craig Berube yesterday on the fast lane talking about what he expects from Nico Mikola in the future and how he would assess his performance so far in 2022. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. If you missed any of their conversation with Craig Berube, you can check it all out on the podcast page, 101ESPN.com, and the free 101 ESPN app. It's all presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Alex, that, that sounded like coach speak to me. Jamie Rivers, later on in the show, was able to translate what we heard from Craig Berube to tell us, okay, what does this actually mean for the Blues and how they feel about Nico Mikola's current play? Here's what Jamie had to say. He's doing really well, and we like him, and he's going to be great, but at the end of the day, he's probably still not the guy that's going to you know, anchor down our top four defense. There you go. Is, Is he in the lineup every night? Probably, yeah. but in a lesser role. Yeah, I mean, to me, what Jamie just said was he's not our top-pairing defenseman that we need to be a Stanley Cup contender, but he is a a a above-average, if not elite, third-pairing defenseman. And I think that's a perfect spot for Nico Mikola, at least this season. 
People still forget that he's only played 56 games in the National Hockey League combined through three seasons. This is the first time in his career that he has been a consistent everyday player getting significant ice time. So Craig Berube is a coaches a player's coach he's a guy who coaches guys up he knows that there is a bright future for Nico Mikola but right now I just don't know if he matches the identity that this team needs as a shutdown defenseman because like it or not Tory Krug and Justin Falk they're not your shutdown D pairing they are a above average superb pairing for this Blues team but you got to get somebody who can play with Colton Pareko and I think for the rest of this season if Doug Armstrong can acquire a Chara Mayfield Chikrin, Giordano, somebody that can play with Colton Pareko that can get the best out of him. Nico Mikola drops down to a third pairing with Robert Bortuzzo, and I would put that right up there with what the Blues had in that 2018-2019 playoff run where they had a Carl Gunnarsson playing with Alex Petrangelo. They had Bo Meester and Pareko as the shutdown pair, and your third pairing was a Bortuzzo and Vince Dunn or a Joel Edmondson in there, which was a, a very qualified third pairing defensive unit. Yeah, this to me sounds like it's a situation where they wanted to find out what the young guy could do, and then they would know the answer to that question by midseason, and then if they needed to upgrade, they would go out there and make that upgrade. Sound familiar? Sounds to me like the Cardinals playing at DH this year, honestly. It's very similar to the way that the Cardinals are viewing that situation. That's basically what's happening right now with Nico Mikola. Let's find out. It's give the kid the opportunity, and by the way, I'm glad they did because early on this season, we weren't sure that that was going to happen because it was Scandella getting those those opportunities, and we all kind of looked at it and we are like, hey, Scandella's not going to be the answer. We know that. Maybe he can be your third pairing defenseman, but he's definitely not the shutdown defensive pair that you're going to want by the end of the season with Colton Pareko. So it's my, you might as well give an opportunity to Nico Mikola, and if he fails, fine. At least then you have that information to know later on down the road where he's at in his career development and whether or not he could accomplish that goal. But the upside is at least there. I still feel the same way about Nico Mikola today that I did at the beginning of the season. He's an exciting young player. He's physical. He's got a lot of upside, and I think in the future he might be a top four defenseman. I'm not sure about top pairing, but a top uh, top four defenseman for this team. I don't think he's there yet. I would not go in, into a playoff series against Vegas or against Colorado or Calgary or whoever the other teams are that they could potentially face in the first round or beyond in the Western Conference playoffs and say to myself, I feel really good about a defensive shutdown pairing that's going to line up against the opposing team's top line with Pareko and Mikola. I just am not there yet with him. I think he can be good. I'm not there yet. Yeah, well, and here's the thing. Like, it takes a while for defensemen to be groomed into something like this. I mean, let's not forget, Colton Pareko had to play three full seasons before he turned into the guy that people looked at as a shutdown defenseman. And even in the first half of that Stanley Cup season, he wasn't viewed as that guy. They they viewed him as somebody that they could rely upon, but it was still Petrangelo and Bo Meester, and then you got to Colton Pareko. And then the playoffs came around, and Pareko hit his peak, and that's where he looked like the guy that the Blues thought he could be the alpha dog. So it's going to take probably a couple more years before Nico Mikola hits that pinnacle of somebody you can rely on in a big-time situation. Is he growing towards that? Absolutely, because I love the fact that he sacrifices his body. He blocks shots. He finishes checks. He gets his stick in the lane. But there is still some, some, some youth in Nico Mikola that has to be worked through, and that's where Craig Berube comes into play. But with the Stanley Cup window open, you need to give him the opportunity to continue to grow 
but you can't put him in a bad spot like in that Calgary Flames game where he's a minus five and you sit him. You have to have him in a spot that you know he can excel at and continue to build confidence. Yeah, and that's that's the situation right now with the Blues, the way they're playing their defensemen. You're just there, there's no way to hide when you're in a pairing with Colton Pareko. They are going to be lined up in their own zone more often than not. There is like three other pairings in the league that line up in their own zone more frequently than Colton Pareko and whoever he's with at any given time. So it's a really tough situation to be in. And that's why you might have to go out there and get a veteran to be able to be on that blue line with Pareko. And Jamie yesterday on the fast lane spoke specifically about who they could go out there and acquire to get the most out of Colton Pareko the way that we saw when he was playing with Jane Bowmeister. Colton Pareko, I think, by adding another defenseman too, you're going to bring out the best in Colton Pareko. Let's think back to Jay Bowmeister and Colton Pareko. And again, Jay Bowmeister doesn't get enough credit sometimes for how good he was. So I think that Colton Pareko could use a little help on the left side as well. And at that time, you'll maximize his potential. Is there Okay, so is there a certain fit that would get the most out of Colton Pareko? Yeah, who's the Bowmeister? I don't know if that guy's out there right now. But I think that for me... Again, I'm going to double down, triple down on this one here. I think Zidane Ochara is a perfect fit. I think he is too. Um, I know there's people that are concerned because he's 44 years old, but I think the reason Jamie believes Chara is a perfect fit and why I think he would make sense is because you go get a Jacob Chikrin. Jacob Chikrin's a better defenseman than Zidane Ochara, but Jacob Chikrin doesn't have that calming presence that Zidane Ochara would present, nor does Scott Mayfield. Mark Giordano does, but he's going to be expensive. I think if you get a Zidane Ochara who's been there 44 years old, yes, but he's still a guy who plays 18, 19, 20 minutes a night, which is a top-pairing defenseman. Chara provides a lot of what Jay Bowmeister provides in the sense of Colton Pareko can be Colton Pareko, and Zidane Chara can back him up there. Whereas you don't want Colton Pareko to have to be, and I think Colton Pareko can be this, but I think this is where the struggles come in. Colton Pareko trying to be the leader and commander on the ice Whereas if you need him to be the shutdown pairing guy, you also can't have him be the teacher for Nico Mikola. You need somebody who could be the shutdown pairing defenseman with Pareko, and I think that's where Zidane Ochara comes into play. And let's not forget, Joey just mentioned it with us, and I love the analogy. He said it's like a car. You know, you, you, you may not have a full tank, but you know that that half a tank or a quarter of a tank is going to get you where you need to get. That's what Chara can provide. Chris Chelios won a Stanley Cup with Detroit when he was 43 years old and he was averaging about 13 minutes a night on that team. But they had three better defensemen on that roster that were playing more ice time. You have Ray Bork, who I understand. Ray Bork is a Hall of Famer. Sedano Chara is probably a Hall of Famer as well, but Ray Bork, when he won the Stanley Cup with the Colorado Avalanche, I believe was 41, 42 years old, and he was averaging about 21 and a half minutes a night. So it can be done. I think Chara can be that guy. I just want somebody who's going to allow Colton Pareko to be the shutdown pairing defenseman that he was when they won the cup. 65780 is the air comfort service tax line to get involved in the show. We'll get to believe it or not here in about five minutes or so, but we got this from the 636. Guys, what if you got Zidane Chara and another defenseman? Chara should be cheap and a solid teacher. They don't need that. That's the thing. No. This goes back to what we've talked about so often with the Cardinals, and I apologize for the cross-sport comparisons, but they're just they're obvious in this situation. The Cardinals don't need depth. They have a bunch of guys that can potentially be solid bats for them. Like you look at what they're bringing up from the minor leagues right now. You've got Gorman, you've got Yepes, you've got Brendan Donovan, you've got three or four other guys that are right now in the minors that are just waiting to to get their opportunity in the big with the big league club. Lars Newtbar. Um, you've got the other kid that's the outfielder Tanner. I'm blanking on his name, but 
Um, they've Burleson? got one more that's coming. What's yeah, it? Burleson. Yes, Burleson. Burleson. He's apparently very close as well. So you've got a bunch of dudes that are potentially available. You need a big time bat. Like if you're going to go upgrade this club, it's got to be something like a Nelson Cruz or Kyle Schwarber. It's the same in my opinion with the Blues. They've got options. You've got Jake Wallman who's not getting any opportunities right now. <laughs> you've got Scott Perunovich who's been unhealthy, but. When he's healthy, he could be an option for you on the third pairing if you need him to. If you trade for Chara, you're going to have Mikola, and we'll see what they do with him, but possibly Scandella as options for that third pairing as well. You don't need to go get multiple pieces. You need your answer for that top pair, and I think I might agree with you, man. I I was hesitant to buy in on this Zidane-Chara situation, but the more I think about it again with a cross-sport comparison, the more I think he could be for the Blues what John Lester was for the Cardinals. And that's not to suggest he's going to be perfect or that he's going to be a guy that ends up coming in and completely changes the culture or anything like that. But he might be exactly what the doctor ordered. The Cardinals needed to stabilize their rotation. The Blues just need somebody that can play solid defensively, man. I don't need him to be this dynamic athlete who's going to go out there and give you 20 points in the next 50 games. I don't need him to be a top 10 defenseman in the league. But if you can be really solid and responsible and consistently get the puck out of your own zone whenever you have it on the first opportunity to do so, man, that's what they're looking for right now, especially with that pairing with Colton Pareko. So if Chara can be that player and his numbers indicate he has turned things around this season, he might actually be the perfect answer for them because he's going to come cheap both in terms of salary and in terms of draft pick haul. It's not going to be like a first round pick the way that it would be for some of these other guys we've been talking about. It, it might end up actually being the right guy at the right time for this team. Yeah. And I mean, look, he's six foot nine, which already addresses he's a that goon. problem. Like he's the definition yeah. of what you've been looking for. And he plays physical. He's not afraid to get nasty in front of the net. He's not going to allow guys to get easy goals, which I think has sometimes been a problem this season for the Blues. But here's the thing. like You can't go out there and get multiple guys because you got to keep Mikola's confidence growing. And if you sit Nico Mikola, then you're basically telling him, look, you weren't good enough. And what do you think that's going to do to him going into next season? Mikola, I think, is a perfect guy to have on your third pairing. And Robert Portuzo is not coming out of the lineup. So I think you need one guy. I think you need an established veteran who brings a little bit more calm and a presence, a character into the locker room, which Chara can do. You want a guy who's been there before. He's won a Stanley Cup. He's been to multiple Stanley Cup final series. But you also want a guy who's going to add that calming presence on the back end. And I think that's what Zdeno Chara does. Is he fast? Absolutely not. But he's a good puck mover. And he's not going to allow, say, a Matthew Kachuk or a Gabriel Landeskog to park themselves in front of the net. It's an important thing that you just said. Like, no, he's not quick. But this team doesn't really need another quick player right now. No. They've got enough speed where in the past, if you would have added another slow player to the lineup, I think it might have been one too many. Where you're like, ah, they, they look really slow against some of the best teams in the league. This team doesn't right now. They've got the speed. They've got the athleticism. They've got the youth. Now you've got to go out there and be able to get the guy that can bring a little bit of the stability on the back end. And it very well may end up that Zidane Chara is the best option to be able to fix that. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. Gabe Armand of Power Mizzou will join the show coming up at 1.30. I want to ask him about the Mizzou loss last night in basketball. Another tough one at the end. We'll get to that. And how did yesterday's recruiting class and transfer portal announcements change the way that Gabe views 2022 for the Mizzou football team? We'll talk to Gabe about all of that coming up at 1.30. Believe it or not, coming up next. 
We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Look at what's happened to me. This segment just gives you the feels on a snow day. Out of the country roads. I don't know about that. Believe it or not, I'm walking on air. Oh, see, this was bad. Whoa. Yeah, it's, it's delayed. Yeah. BK, you ruined that. You ruined it, BK. You were delayed. Yeah, you're hearing things a little bit behind me, and you were we way off. I surprise on you. Uh, I can't. Oh, that was bad. That was bad. That was rough. That was brutal. Believe it or not, it BK, stop singing. You know what? Go, go to Disney World. To me, it sounded great. I'm sorry that it didn't sound that way to everybody else. I apologize. <laughs> I, well, you're the only one that matters, BK. You're about a millisecond away. I was a little confused what was happening there for a second. I'm going to go ahead and say this on the air. I know it's bad radio. Alex, rejoin the FaceTime. <laughs> <laughs> I can't. My phone just died. was <laughs> the air comfort service text line for believe it or not. Nailed it. <laughs> oh, it's a snow day for us. Tanner is in studio. I am in St. Charles. See what Alex I have to work with, Ridge. text line? That's unbelievable. If you guys have a scenario that you want us to tell you if we believe it or not, you can throw it in on the text line at 65780. Guys, believe it or not, Zidane Chara will be a blue by the end of the season. Alex, we'll start with you. Um, I'll say I believe it. I think when it comes to the options that are out there to trade for, Jacob Chikrin's going to be too expensive. Mark Giordano's going to be too much of a hassle. I think everyone's going to be wanting Ben Sherratt. And, you know, I've given a couple of under-the-radar guys, but I think Zidane Chara makes the most sense. And let's not forget, he was rumored to be in conversations with the Blues as a free agent this offseason. So I'll say I believe this one. I think if there's one guy that Doug Armstrong will go after, it might be Zidane Chara. I'm not going to believe it. I, I think Army's going to go bigger. I, I think he's going to make a maybe not. You can't a Jacob, go bigger than six foot nine, T Bone. Not size. <laughs> I I don't I don't think he's going to go get like a Jacob Chicken where it's going to cost him like three picks or and then like two assets. But I could see him being involved with the Ben Sherratt sweepstakes. I, I do believe they're going to go bigger than just a defenseman that like a Zendaya Char, someone that we've been talking about where he's going to pair nicely with Colton Brako. I think he's going to look for someone that's going to pair nicely with Colton Brako and then add another element to the Blues defensively and offensively. So I'm not going to believe it. I'm going to believe it. I, I've heard too much from Jamie and that guy is too connected for me to say that I, I, I think there's no chance of this happening. I, I just think that it's I think this makes so much sense for the Blues, man. He, he's got the size. He's got the experience. You look at what he could bring for Colton Pareko specifically, and it is some of the same elements of what Jay Bomeister did whenever those two were paired together on the blue line. I'm going to believe it. I think it might end up being a situation where Zidane Chara is the one that makes the most sense for the St. Louis Blues. And real quick, BK, let's... Real quick, PK, let's look at this, too. I mean, you know, other teams are going to be in competition with him. Like, let's take, for example, Colorado and Nashville in the Central Division. He's not going to get to be a top-pairing defenseman with one of those teams because they have guys. He comes to St. Louis, he's going to get the minutes that he wants, and I think that's going to be important for him as well. Yeah, that's a really good point. I mean, he, he'd be paired with a, a quality defenseman. He'd get the ice time that he's looking for, and he's going to be on a contender. So it makes a lot of sense for him as well if you're selling it that going the other direction. Probably too old to handle that. The Air huh. Comfort Service text line for Believe It or Not. 
Guys, believe it or not, the Cardinals will finish with a top two record in the National League next year. The Cardinals will finish with one of the top two records in the National League next year. Alex, we'll start with you. Um, I'm not going to believe this one because I just think there's going to be a lot of jumbled teams in the National League. And I think the Dodgers are still going to be there. I think the Padres are going to be better this season. I would put the Cardinals in the same conversations as like the Braves and the Milwaukee Brewers, which would be fighting for one of those top two spots, but I just don't know if I'd have them in one of those top two, so I'm not going to believe this one. Yeah, I, I think I think I'm going to believe this one. I, I think they'll be that second team in the top two, so I, I think the Dodgers will still be one, but I could see the Dodgers taking a step back, as we talked about earlier in the show. I can't buy into San Diego. I can't buy in San Francisco having as good a year as they did last year because of the loss of Posey and they've lost a couple other pieces. I think the East, and we said this last year, and maybe I'll be proven wrong once again, I think the East will beat up on itself just a little bit. I, I look at the NL Central. Who's the team that's going to really hurt the Cardinals? It could be Milwaukee, but I, I think Pirates. they'll be... I, well, you know, they do have Sutsugio, everybody's favorite player, so it's possible. But I, I think they should be able to take advantage of playing Pittsburgh, the Cubs, and the Reds. And then I think they... I think they'll finish ahead of Milwaukee. That would be the only team that I think could contend for them for that number two spot because I think they're going to go back and forth a lot all year long. I'm going to believe it. I I look around the National League and all of these other teams have questions similar or worse than what the Cardinals have going into this season. And guys, I know that for the vast majority of our audience, the question for the Cardinals is, yeah, but what are they going to do with the offense? It's so strange, but nationally, people don't seem concerned about the offense. The number one question that others have is what the pitching is going to be. So I I think that the offense is going to be a little better than we're expecting. And I think that they are going to end up with one of the two best records in the National League next year. That is also me betting on them potentially adding somebody at the deadline of significance as well. So if I'm wrong on that, it could also lead me to be wrong on this bet. Um, But I'm going to believe it. I I do think that the Cardinals are going to finish with a top two record in the National League this year. 65780 is the air comfort service text line for Believe It or Not. Alex, believe it or not, Greg Berube will have a contract extension by the end of the All-Star break. Uh, I'm not going to believe this one. If you uh, checked out JR's mailbag today on The Athletic, uh, somebody asked that question. And although they have that time, it doesn't seem like it's at the utmost importance of Doug Armstrong. And it it does seem like it's one of those things that both are pretty confident they'll get it done. But I think they're going to just focus on the the rest of the season. So I'm not going to believe this one. I I think it's... Part of me wonders if there's already a, a handshake agreement of like, look, we're going to bring you back, but let's worry about the contract after the season. And if you're if you're Craig Berube, I'd probably hold out and see if I can win another Stanley Cup to get me some more money. So I'm not going to believe this after the end of the All-Star break, but I do believe they'll have something before the start of next season. Yeah, I'm not going to believe it either. And I this answer has changed in 24 hours because as you asked me at this time yesterday, I would have believed this. But because of what I read with JR in his mailbag today, basically saying, yeah, it doesn't seem like it's the utmost, utmost importance. I don't go, I don't think they're going to get it done. So I, I'm not going to believe it, but I am with Alex. I do think they will get something done or they already have something done. I'm just not going to believe it's going to be done in the All-Star break. I'm honestly a little surprised that it hasn't been announced. I thought we would get one by the end of this all-star break and the fact that we have not just yet. Typically, the league doesn't want you to distract from the actual all-star festivity. So I would have to imagine if there was an announcement coming, it would come today or tomorrow. It's already 1.30 today. I don't think it's coming today. Um, and Could I, come I on Sunday. 
that's true. That's true. It could come on Sunday as well. I'm just a little surprised that we have not seen that happen yet. When do they? When is their first game coming back, Alex? Thursday. I Thursday think. the 10th is their game, and they would. I think they all come back to the facilities on Sunday or Monday. So I could see if they if they were to get it done, it would be one of those two days. But I just yeah. I got a feeling that both are just looking at it as, hey, we're going to get this done. Let's just focus on winning the Stanley Cup and then we'll discuss this at the end of the season. I just don't know why not now. I, like, I would just rather have this done so you can go into the offseason and focus on the other stuff with your players because they have so many other decisions also that have to be made this offseason. So I think they should get it done, but uh, it, do- it doesn't look like that's going to be the case. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, we'll dive into the BK and Ferrario Rewind. But next, Gabe Diarmid of Power Mizzou joins the show. I want to ask him how yesterday influenced the way that he views Mizzou football going into the 2022 season. A big-time recruiting class for the Tigers, the best in program history. What does it mean? Well, that's Gabe Diarmid next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Let's go out to the Brown and Group and Celebrity Line to be joined by our friend Gabe Diarmond of PowerMazoo.com. He's the publisher over at Power Mizzou. Gabe, how you doing today, man? Not bad. What's going on, guys? Uh, doing all right. So I, I want to get to football recruiting here in a second, but I've got one question on the basketball team, unfortunately, for you. They've oh. now lost eight out of ten. They've lost four straight. I think two of those three were legitimate heartbreakers for Mizzou fans, losing to the number one team in the country against Auburn with I don't even know what the ending in that one was. And then whatever the heck happened last night against Florida. Gabe, what's going on with this team? How would you describe where where they're at and how Mizzou fans should feel about the status of this program right now? Um, the short answer is they're not very good. Um, <laughs> the, I mean, at the end of the year, Usually teams that end up with a pretty good record can, can look back at, you know, three or four games and say, Hey man, you know, we, uh, we made our own luck. We, we got some breaks there. Um, you know, we, we probably could have ended the season a little bit worse and teams that aren't very good look back and say, Hey, almost, um, those three or four, like we were right there. We just need to make one more play. We're really close, but I mean, the margin is, the margin is thin and good teams make those plays and bad teams don't. Uh, in Missouri's last six games, they've lost five. They've had a lead in all five. They've had a lead in the last six minutes in four, and they've had a lead in the last three minutes in three of them. Uh, they've lost every one. You know, they're just they just don't make enough plays uh, to win games against decent competition. And A and M's decent. Florida's okay. Uh, you know, Iowa State and, and Auburn are good teams, but the only common thread is. They find ways to lose these games. And I know everybody wants to blame the coach for everything. And, look, he's got some culpability. It's it's not that simple. These guys aren't robots. But it, whatever, he's ultimately the one that, that pays for it if this goes uh, too far sideways. So that's the basketball side of things. Gabe, I did want to ask you, you, you guys make your money on the recruiting side of things, specifically for football over at Power Mizzou. And yesterday, as the National Signing Day, or whatever you're calling it nowadays, with the early signing period being the real one, um, they officially brought in the best class, according to Rivals, since Rivals has been doing this, Mizzou did. 
unfortunately, they also happened to play in the SEC where that put them like sixth in the SEC. So it was an average class for their conference, but it was the best one that they've ever had. Uh, How would you recap what we saw yesterday with Mizzou bringing in a top 17 class nationally? Yeah, and and obviously yesterday was kind of this little afterthought to, you know, the class had already pretty much been in place. I mean, yesterday they they added a couple of uh, kind of late finds under the radar kids, but you know, yeah, it's sixth in the SEC, seventh in the SEC, whatever it is, but that's what Missouri needs to shoot for because the truth is you're not ever beating Alabama, Georgia, um, usually Florida, usually LSU, Texas A&M. You're not beating those teams on the first Wednesday in February very often at all. So I, I've always said you're you're not aiming to be in the top three in this conference in recruiting rankings, but if you can get into the top half, and then, you know, have a guy who does what Gary Pinkle did here, which is outperform those rankings. Now you're in the discussion. It's it's just virtually impossible to win in this league if you're going to be 12th, 13th, 14th every year, which is where Missouri was sitting for the previous four or five years. So, um, you know, Eli Drinkwitz has done things that, as far as recruiting rankings went, I honestly didn't think were possible at Missouri. And uh, so now that is going to have to translate into – on the field and all that, but he has done things that I didn't think anybody could do here. Well, and that's where I was going to go next with this, Gabe. How does this translate to the on-field product? Because when you talk about some of these players like Luther Burden and Sam Horn, you would expect that this team to start continue to rise in terms of overall record, but as we've just mentioned, they also play in the SEC. Right, yeah. I mean, they brought in, you know, 10 transfers, and you don't bring transfers in to sit. I mean, a couple of these guys are are more development guys, but a lot of these guys are, are players that were brought into play. And I did the math a couple days ago. Approximately 80% of the roster on opening day is going to be guys that Eli Drinkwitz has signed. Now, yeah, a lot of those guys are going to be freshmen and sophomores. But the point is, he has turned this thing over almost completely in a little over two calendar years. Now, with that comes an expectation that it translates onto the field. And I, I don't think any Missouri fan goes into this year thinking, hey, we should go 10-2 and two and, you know, be playing Georgia for the East title. I, I don't think that's realistic. But I do think it's, it, it's time to go in and say, okay, probably we need to be better than 500 this year. Um, we need to see tangible progress. 7-5 or better, to me, is tangible progress. And 7-5, and like, I don't know that anybody would be throwing parades, but at least you'd have, hey, we got this this quarterback who came in who's a freshman. We got Luther Burden who's a freshman. Some of these guys, Mookie Cooper, Dom Lovett, guys like that, got an extra year in the program. Um, And you can offer kind of, hey, this is a small step, and next year we take a bigger step. Uh, Look, I'm not going to write anybody off, and nobody's on the hot seat if they do end up, say, five and seven this year. But it will be – you know, at least kind of a, eh, maybe we need to think about this. This isn't going quite as well as we thought it was going to. Final question that I've got for you, Gabe. I did want to ask you about the quarterback situation. How would you handicap this going into spring ball? Who would you say is the favorite to be the starter next year? And how do you think it shakes out from there? Well, I mean, going into spring ball, the favorite has to be Brady Cook, right? Because Sam Horn's not going to be here. Brady Cook started the bowl game and Tyler Macon was on the roster. So, Cook is clearly the number one guy entering spring ball. And and I asked Drinkwitz yesterday, you know, if if they considered a quarterback transfer when Bazelak left or if they would still consider a quarterback transfer. And he gave exactly the answer I would expect him to give, which is, hey, we'll consider a transfer at any position. We're not here to 
to make guys feel good. We're here to win football games. And if we find a guy that can help us win football games, we will. But we either didn't find that guy or if we found that guy, he, he didn't think we were the place. But they'll keep looking. Um, I, I mean, I think Cook has to be the favorite going into spring ball. But I've said just watching how this thing has unfolded, I'm still not going to be at all surprised if at some point next year, Sam Horn is Missouri's starting quarterback. Um, whether that's, you know, week one, week four, week 10, I don't know. Um, and, and I want to be clear, nobody's told me that. I don't have any insight. Just looking at how this thing has gone, it looks to me like they're maybe kind of trying to set that up. He's Gabe DeArmond. You can find his work over at powermazoo.com. He's also doing something really cool. The NIL, I know there are some people that are against it and well, whatever. We don't have to talk about that today. But Gabe has been able to put up, set up some interviews with Mookie Cooper and Luther Burden. Those are going to be available over on powermazoo.com. Both of them St. Louis guys. You're able to get to know them a little bit more as people, not just as players. It's a really cool thing that NIL allows Gabe and other people that do something similar to Gabe to do. So, Gabe, enjoy that, man. It's really been really cool so far i heard the first one with mookie it was a good good interview uh looking forward to hearing the rest of them we'll talk with you again soon my man appreciate it guys thanks uh anytime absolutely that's gabe DeArmond of powermazoo.com joining us here on 101 espn alex at the end there he mentioned that sam horn he thinks it will potentially get starts for mizzou next year at quarterback i i think i agree with him i watched him a little bit more i watched some of his senior stuff the other day he reminds me so much of drew Locke. Like, the good and the bad. He's athletic. He's got a hose of an arm. He's He's got a cannon, man. And he, it seems like everything he did in high school was off schedule. And what I mean by that is, like, it was either a slant route, quick, get it out of his hands, RPO type of stuff, or it was him scrambling, scrambling, going into the scramble drill, and now you find somebody super deep, and he's just th- chucking it over the top. So I think he's got stylistically a lot of similarities to what you saw from Drew Locke at Mizzou both the good and the bad of that. Well, and I love that. I love that comparison then because Drew Locke was so much fun to watch. The thing with Drew Locke was you were always wanting more from the team around him. And there was a time there where it felt like the weapons were at the point where Drew Locke could take things to the next level. Then you get into the conversations about the coaching situation. So I love what they have right now. When you talk about the weapons that they have, the coach that they have, and if the Sam Horn is Drew Locke, I guess the question just is exactly what Gabe mentioned. When do you start p- progressing in a different direction than a 500 record? Because that's going to be the biggest problem. Eventually, you're going to have to ask, Is is I, I don't believe this, but this is going to be the question if they don't have success this year on the field. At what point do you wonder if Eli Drinkwitz is Butch Jones, the way that he struggled at Tennessee despite all of the great recruiting rankings? I'm not there. I don't believe that to be the case. I do think they will be more successful this year, so those questions will not be valid. But if they go 5-7 and seven or something like that this year, those are the questions that are going to be asked about, about yeah, Eli well, Drinkwitz. Well, and I mean, look, I mean, he's he's progressed. I mean, he started the year with, what, five wins, and then this year he had six wins. And I understand when he took over the team, it was still a majority of Barry Odom players, and it does take some time. And what did Gabe say? 80% of this team this upcoming season is going to be Eli Drinkwitz recruiting class. So I would imagine this is the year that you really start looking at it and saying, okay, are you just a recruiter or are you a recruiter and a head coach? With that, Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up next, we'll get to the BK and Ferrario Rewind. We'll get back to the conversation about Zidane Ochara. Can he be the answer for the Blues on their blue line? We'll talk about it next on 101 ESPN. We're right.
right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. If you missed anything from today's show, be sure to check it out on the podcast page, 101ESPN.com, the free 101 ESPN app. It's all presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Alex, earlier today, we talked a little bit about Zidane Chara as a possibility for the Blues. And I got to be honest with you, at first when I heard the idea, it, it, it was underwhelming to me. I hear it and it's like, okay, so the 40, 40-year-old defenseman who had a terrible start to the season that's going to be the answer to what plagues the Blues. That sounds like an answer that the Cardinals would come up with to one of their issues. Whoa. The more I think about it, though, the more I think it actually might be the correct answer. And my initial response, I think, was a little unfair. Because when you look at what the Blues actually need, they need somebody that is stable. They need somebody that can come in and calm down Colton Pareko at times. And they need somebody that's going to be really good in their own zone. They don't need a dynamic athlete who's going to be putting the puck in the back of the net from your blue line. They've got those guys. That's their second pairing defenseman, Justin Falk and Tori Krug. If Zidane Ochara has what it takes to come back in and give you four rounds of great playoff hockey, physical playoff hockey, he actually might be the best case scenario for this team in some ways. Yeah, that would be my concern about going to get a Jacob Chikrin or going out there and trying to get, I don't think Ben Chirot plays that way, but Mark Giordano likes to jump up into the offense. I don't want to get somebody that thinks they can be an offensive defenseman here. I want somebody who knows their role when they come to St. Louis, and that would be a Zdeno Chara. I mean, look, the guy's been averaging over 18 and a half minutes of ice time this season for the Islanders, and he's a plus four. He's he, last season when he was with Washington, he was averaging a little over 18 and a half minutes. By no means is he a Colton Pareko 20 plus minutes a night player, but I think he can be for a seven game series in four rounds of a Stanley Cup championship run. And what I also like about Zidane Chara is he's not coming in to try and, you know, build chemistry in the locker room. He's already established himself as a hockey player, and you're not going to disrupt chemistry. You're just going to bring somebody in who knows how to be a leader into a locker room. So I think Zidane Chara might be the best case. And let's also look at it this way, too. If you put Nico Mikola on the third pairing, you play him with Robert Bortuzzo, who's a stay-at-home defenseman, it gives Mikola an opportunity to jump up into the offense, and we've seen what he can do in that size. So I think the best-case scenario for the Blues is to get somebody who has an established defensive defenseman role, and I think that could be Zidane Ochara on this roster. If you don't believe Alex, if you don't believe me, how about Joey Vitale? We talked with him earlier today here on BK and Ferrario. Here's what he had to say about Zidane Ochara. I get that he's old, but to me, experience is so important uh, in playoffs. It, it is so important. He's a, he's a little bit bigger than Nico Mikula, a bit stronger, and he's been weathered. You know, To me, I think that you have to look at a player like Zidane Ochara seriously because I do think he's got enough in his tank to make four rounds um, and, and kind of sail off to the sunset in his career. You also have a guy who uh, is playing, would be joining a team that he played against 11 of those guys during that Stanley Cup run when they faced the Blues in the Stanley Cup final. And he's also been a teammate of Tory Krug's. And so there's relationships there. 
uh, what will be interesting is how he fares in the Western Conference. And I think that might be his bread and butter because he spent so much time in the East where he has been a stay-at-home defenseman and he's had to go up against that pond hockey style. I want to see what he could do in an, a Western Conference because think about it. You're going to be facing against a team like Minnesota, who's got Marcus Foligno, a team like the Nashville Predators, who has a Tanner Janot, or a team like the Colorado Avalanche, who've got a Gabriel Landeskog, all guys who like to park in front of their net. You want somebody who's going to make those guys pay a price, and I think that's Zidane Chara. Age is something that you look at and you say, yeah, well, he's not fast enough. You don't need that. Age, a 44-year-old, he's not going to allow anybody to take any chances in front of the net, which I think is important for this Blues team. He's Alex Ferrario. That's Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. It sounds like my flight is actually going to be taking off tonight. Fingers Ooh. crossed. Knock on wood. Hopefully that ends up being the case. I will be back if that is the case next Wednesday. Alex and Tanner have you covered until then. Otherwise, I will talk to you guys tomorrow at 11 here on 101 ESPN Fastlane coming up next. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.